This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Boom, and there we go. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your humble host, John Allen. Before I get started with this conversation, I'd like to make everyone aware of the fact that in the description of this episode, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform, you will find three links where you can click in if you would like to support the work that I am doing on the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Your support is not necessary. Your monetary support is not necessary, but it is greatly appreciated okay and here we go hi shanna betts hi friend i'm good i'm good how are you you know i'm uh, you see me smiling <laughs> I've, I've i've been looking forward to this um hats off to my sister who told me about you uh you and i went to high school together you and i share well, a, we we we, we well, passed like we, shifts of the night right so it, you yeah. were going out when i was coming in yes yeah, but I'm, we, I'm a, we, yeah. we, we haunted the same I'm, halls I'm, yes. I'm an old fart i'm an old fart you're old but i'm an old fart so <laughs> as i was going out you were coming in but we went to the same high school so we know a lot of the same people a lot of the same teachers and i had a rather exciting turn in my life that led me here to norway and you have had a rather exciting turn in your life that led you to the things that we're going to jump into in this conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, if we go back to now, you were not born in Ohio. You were born in Florida, correct? Florida. Okay. Florida, yeah. So, so what is it that brought you to Ohio? Talk about that a little bit and then talk about your, yeah, just talk about your steps through junior high and then into high school. <laughs> oh, what a tawdry tale. The pressure's um, on. I know, I know. Oh my God, should I, should I, I get my popcorn? That. Yeah, don't, don't, no. More like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, my, so actually I was born in Florida, but that just happened to, to be where my mother was when, when she had me, as opposed to, oh, a, you know, I was raised, born and raised really in Ohio. All my people gotcha. are from Ohio, everything. And my mom um, I may or may not know this about my my family, but my mother was a drug runner in the 70s, and I was born in 72. And at that point, um, uh, she was down in Florida running drugs off uh, the coast of uh, Fort Lauderdale. So, um, you know, she had me down there. Um, I was born there, but then I was raised in Ohio with my grandmother, mostly. Um, so she has a rather me. interesting reason for having been in Florida then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. It's funny. You, you think it was really unique. It's actually not. When I, was, I went down there to um, uh, make a film, I ended up making a film about my mother and sort of our life at that time. I saw and that. Tell us the name of that 99, film. 99. It's called Free Ride. Free Ride. As in, as Check in it out, people. gas, grass, or ass, nobody rides for free kind of idea. <laughs> but, um, but we ended up down there, and I, I swear on my life, John, 99% of the people that came up to me that thought they needed to come up to me as the filmmaker and say, Oh my God, I was here in the seventies. I did exactly the same thing your mother did. I mean, all these women, it was, it's kind of a thing. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. out of the ordinary. It was very normal to, to basically be running drugs in yeah. your Yeah. 30s. You know, in the, in the, in the faces behind, you know, the, the, the money or the pushers behind all of that, uh, had this thing for getting women 
to be the carriers for them. So, it, and, and actually, you know, not just in the 70s, but going all the way up through the 80s and through the 90s and early 2000s when I was an, I was a narcotics cop for a while. And oh, right, so, right. so oh, many okay. times it was a woman who was carrying for the guy. It's not just, um, uh, well, I want to be clear. My mother was not a, she was not a carrier. She was a coordinator for the boats that would come oh, in okay. through international waters. So they, would, they, would, they would, she would take a boat, a fishing boat. She'd hire one. She'd go and charter a boat, go out, sit in international waters for a week at, on, you know, or whatever the mother load, they call it the mother load, would come in. It would come in and then she would bring that load into a, a holding house on um, the, the, uh, the finger canals that, okay, they had, yeah. that they'd had. Bring it in, have loaders come in, offload, and then, but she would pose with us as a family, okay. would pose as a family. So it was, yes, it was women, but more importantly and more distinctly, it was single women with children. Okay. She said that the boss man who she worked for was a lovely guy, lovely, nice, nice guy. Um, sort of a good old boy from, I think maybe from Alabama, Georgia. Yeah. Um, and he always hired single moms. He said that they had more to lose. You know what? That's a good point. That's pretty smart thinking, actually. Right? I get that. that. That's I get predatory. that. That's, that's I, predatory I get territory that. yeah. right there. That's the yes. real. That's yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. That's that's such an interesting life. It's a very illegal life, but it's a very interesting life. How yeah. how did you come to know about this? Um, it was never. I mean, my mother went to prison. Um, it took her a lot of years to end up going to prison after she was busted because um, she had uh, the boss man who she never turned on never gave names ever Okay. because my mom's like that. <laughs> uh, uh, he hired uh, a really strong group of lawyers to represent her. And basically she ended up doing, she was supposed to do five to 15, ended up doing one and a half okay. got on, on for good behavior and things like that. Um, so that's actually a relatively went, light sentence. It is. I'm talking about even the, even the five to fifteen actually is is considering the time again. Yeah. She had a she had a, a team of lawyers. My little mother, who had you know didn't graduate high school, had a team of lawyers because he because she didn't turn on him. Right. So you he know, financed it, uh, the legal defense. Yeah. yeah, and it was a pretty strong legal defense apparently. Um, but you know, uh, it wasn't like it was like it, it's funny. I, I in retrospect thinking about people's parents and what they've done. And, I mean, it was very on the table. It was very on the table for me as a kid. My mom went to prison. Yeah. It was there. I remember, it's funny, doing the movie, I ended up going back and looking through a lot of old scrapbooks and paperwork and things I'd kept. And I took in a, uh, a, uh, a an article my mom was in the paper because she'd been busted. Yeah. I took yeah. an article in for a uh, show and tell when I was, oh, wow. when, I was when I was a kid saying, look, my mom was in the paper. How, how old were you then? <laughs> and, like seven. Okay. So you were probably, seven, I'm going to guess, but were you maybe too young to feel any embarrassment about that? Yes. Yeah. That's correct. That's okay. Correct. I didn't know that that was not, that was not cool. Right. I didn't know that. Um, so at that, I didn't learn that really until later. 
so at that young age, you were uh, aware of what your mother was doing. I was, I was aware that she did something. Something. Okay. Yeah. She did something that wasn't, that wasn't, um, legal. Okay. (laughs) And then, and then, uh, and then later on when she went to, but again, it took years for her to go to prison, but between the time that she was, she was busted and her going to prison, it was, it was years. So, um, by the time that happened, it was, it was, uh, it hit me later on. So how is your mother doing now? How, how has she been since then? She's amazing. She's like my best friend. Um, no other troubles with the law? No. 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 She went in. She, when she went to prison, she found God. And okay. uh, that's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. Depends on who you ask. But um, If it serves the individual well, I say it's a good thing. If it serves you, exactly. She was, um, she was an addict. You know, pretty much some kind of an addict her whole life. Um, okay. If it wasn't alcohol, it was heroin or it was cocaine. Um, and she just... She just stopped okay. and um, when she went to prison and then when she got out, she became more of a drinker after she came out and okay. then she just stopped drinking. She just, she just kind of one of those people that had to go through the gamut and, and I, right. I align with her that way because I'm, you know, I've got the DNA of my mother and my father, which were, they sure. were both addicts. Oh, your and father I know, as well. I know, okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My, my father was also in prison. Okay. Um, uh, separately on different uh, drug charges at some point. He was and, also a carrier. And not at the same, not at this, he wasn't incarcerated at the same time as your mother. No. That's no. good for you. That could have drastically changed your life if both of them would have been incarcerated at the same time. Well, the thing is he was never in my life though that much at that time. So it okay. wasn't, um, it wasn't that, it wouldn't be that drastic because I was raised by my grandmother in, okay. in all intents and purposes. My grandmother was more my mother and my I mother see. was more like my sister. I see. Okay. The way that we were raised. Yeah. So how, how did your mother feel about you making the film uh, Free Ride? <laughs> she loved it. My mom loved it. She's such a badass. My mom was like, that's awesome. She's so proud of me. Whatever I've so, sort of any, anything so, I've ever done. She's so the fact awesome. that she accepted the making of that movie, that says a lot as far as her acceptance of her situation, her, her, um, yeah, her admission of, of guilt, if you will. In other words, she she did what she did. She served her time, and now she's ready to move on. Right, but you, you know, John, you're you're from where I'm from, right? So yeah. so there's a certain particular there's a particular kind of sort of badge that you wear. It's not like, oh, I went to prison and I'm I'm so embarrassed by it. You're yeah. like, no, nah, I went to prison and and now I'm on the other side of it, and let's 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 move yeah. forward. There's there's it's just not. It's not like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. There's I a certain, to explain to people. There's a certain stead, Ohio. Yeah, but there's a certain steadfast, um, straightforwardness, determination that some of those people in rural Ohio have. They, um, yeah, they can handle, they can handle these kind of things. You know, it's not a pity party. It's like, okay, this is what I did. It's not a pity party. No, it's a, it's a straightforward, steadfast, uh, uh, acceptance of the situation. Okay, this and this has happened. Now, how am I going to make the best out of it? Am I right? Is that kind of the mindset that your mother that your mother has? It is. Even in it the is. midst and of, also, but it's also kind of cool. She knows yeah. she was cool. Like she knows it. She like my mom was the coolest woman. <laughs> like when you saw her, I remember. <laughs> I, I have friends that that I, you know I went to high school with that um, sometimes they reach out to me and 
people I you know played sports with or whatever it was and and they're like I remember your mom your mom was so cool yeah, <laughs> she yeah. kind of go-go style you know I was trying to think of like at first I thought she was a hippie and I was like no she wasn't a hippie she was kind of like go-go like you know just cool like she was yeah. the one who wore the white leather boots and the yeah. tight pants and the you know and sort of all the bracelets and just felt cool she just looked cool she was beautiful i mean my mother was always really very good looking um but she was cool she's still in ohio she's actually she's in north carolina north carolina what city lenore which is this tiny little town outside like an hour outside of uh, charlotte okay yeah i i love north carolina i lived there for what about eight months or so after um, I was mostly in Asia when I was in the U.S. Marines, but I finished up at Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. And then I moved yeah. to a place uh, just outside of Jacksonville. And then when I was a truck driver, I was a truck driver for about... Oh, my God. I didn't know you were a truck driver. Yeah. Well, after I got out of the Marines, I just had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. And I needed time to get my head together and kind of readjust, you know, civilian life and just figure out what I wanted to do. And I figured, how about if I take a job as a truck driver, get my commercial driver's license, be a truck driver. And then I can see, I, I'd seen so many different places in the Marines, but I hadn't really seen much of America at all. Cause I came wow. from two and a half years on, in, in Japan on Okinawa. And then to I love uh, Okinawa. Oh I, gosh. I love, I love Japan so much. It's beautiful. I just love it. But I wanted to see America. So I took that job as a truck driver, you know, to see America and kind of get my head together. And I was just all over the place and probably my favorite, part of the country is western north carolina up in the smokies up in the mountains yeah that's where she is basically she's in um outside of uh uh greenville no it's not greenville it's green something greensboro greensboro uh, sort of near asheville there you go. So it's asheville. like central yes. west it's yeah. like kind of the, yeah every, that's exactly where she is everything around asheville is just the most beautiful i i, I love north carolina i love it i the only problem with north carolina though john is the and, people and this is, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so interesting is my husband, my husband's parents were like both from North Carolina, born, raised. Uh, he was born in Raleigh, it, you know, and they were, but they're writers and, and his, you know, his mother's father was a professor at the university of UNC and his father, you know, his, his dad is a, he's now a journalist, but he was, he was also a writer. So they come from what I'll call good people. Yeah. Well, where my, my mom is, Lenore is just a little tiny town with a lot of fucking ignorant people. And, and I get in, I, the only thing to do there is go to Moose Lodge. The Moose Lodge yeah. there is, you know, happening on New Year's Eve. And whenever <laughs> I've spent the holidays with my mom, we always go to the Moose Lodge or we'll go someplace like that. They don't mm-hmm. have bars. They don't have clubs. They don't have anything like that. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not set up like that. And I always get into some kind of argument. Well, I, I can understand that. You know, my, my impression of North Carolina, and again, now this has been years ago. Uh, you know, to, to put it in perspective, I've been in Norway for 19 years. So mm. even longer before that was when I was in North Carolina. And my impression of North Carolina was if you are around the college towns or a military base, you are modern and relatively progressive and accepting of different viewpoints but you get outside of the military bases you get outside the college towns and you're in hickville and it's extremely right-wing racist close-minded 
Am I, I am, I, am I generalizing too much or is that? No, no, you're not. And that's the thing that, look, you were so weird about Lenore. How about this? Let me throw another wrench in. Let's have it. Lenore, my sister, my sister is now with my, um, lives in the same town as my mother, which is fantastic. Yeah. But my sister was a truck driver, by the way. Oh. I wrote a series about trucking, which I will tell you. Did about you really? Second, but, uh, oh, yeah. Um, but Lenore is the home of Google. Is it really? Oh, hell yeah. How did it's I not know that? It's a huge compound. I mean, a huge oh. industrial compound in Lenore, okay. North Carolina. Okay. Right? So, so here you have all these, she calls them the Googlers, right? <laughs> the Googlers that, that are there working for Google, like progressive, left-leaning, yeah, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. In the middle of Lenore, which is a that is a strange the, the right, mix. A right ring weird yeah. old little town that has nothing. They don't even have a stop. I mean, they have a stop sign. I mean, <laughs> that's how big Lenore is. That is a like, strange quite, mix. Yes, it is. Yes, it's super strange. So I get a I get a lot of weirdness when I go there. I just don't like I don't like that. I don't like North Carolina that much because of the politics, because it's just so close minded. I loved it for the nature and I loved it for the good people that I came across. And, and, and to be, you know, to be honest, as a truck driver, I can't judge what the people are like as a truck driver. You know, I stop in a town, I might stop at a truck stop or at a restaurant, you know, I'll drop off, you know, whatever I'm hauling and then I move on. But I can well, remember. What were you hauling, the, by the way? I'm what sorry. Was your, what, was your, what was your specialty? What were you hauling? Well, what I worked your... for Schneider National, and most of what I was doing was running paper products. Okay. Um, okay. Boy, I got so familiar with every exit up and down I-95, all the yeah. way from Maine all the way down to Miami, and then um, I had a run. From usually, I would uh, from from where I lived in North Carolina. I would uh, pick up somewhere in North Carolina, deliver somewhere in South Carolina, and pick up in South Carolina, and then all the way up to Maine, mm -hmm. and then pick up more, and then all the way back down to, to Miami with a few stops in between, and then out west to Boise, Idaho. Uh, so I pretty yeah. much had like half a triangle there. And every once in a while, mm -hmm. um, my, uh, my dispatcher would route me back through Ohio so I could get back home and visit my mom, my sister, <laughs> grandma, nice. and all those people. But uh, it was paper products for the most part. Wow. But it was, but it was, a, it was a real interesting experience because um, now I've, I've always loved traveling. You know, in a car, a, a road trip. Ever since I was a kid, we would, you know, jump in the car and, and drive down south from Ohio to visit family in Tennessee and and Kentucky. Yeah, no one jumped on a plane, right? No, no we drove. That was a in drive. Our generation, in our generation, there was a, there's been a. Uh, like a huge change in, in yes. transportation yes. that happened. Yeah, we used to drive all that. Yeah. Yeah, we also didn't have cell phones, right? Exactly. So there's yeah. there so we're we're the last generation then. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's us. Yeah. And where people got in a car yeah. and went somewhere as opposed to that I still love road trips. I love I had road trips. A, I had a, it, it yeah, an experience that just like in my life where I got so so disconnected and, and yeah. empty creatively empty that I ended up getting in my car and I traveled for two years. Yes. Now that's, well, there you go. Now that's, that's, that is very therapeutic. That's the way to do it. 
Better that than better that than a, a psychologist is going to take five hundred an hour. <laughs> yeah, I did that too, but um, well, yeah, and, but and <laughs> which one has the better return? <laughs> I'll exactly. take the road. I'll take the road trip. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take the road trip. <laughs> no, I, I've always loved uh, road trips ever since I was a kid and all this stuff. So taking that job as a truck driver was um, it was eighteen months of peace. It was eighteen months of self therapy. Uh, you know, getting to know myself, who I am, and what I wanted to do for my future. Uh, you know, and, and uh, it, it broke my heart here. Now, my wife and kids just got back yesterday. Uh, they've been gone for, what, two and a half weeks now. They took a road trip four days from here up to our other home, way up north in Norway. Oh, wow. It's on an island way up north, way well oh, above, well why above your because, because of this stupid shoulder, I've had... Um, eight shoulder operations now since 2016 oh. and I can't handle sitting. I can't, I just can't handle sitting for that long in a car. It just, it just would have killed me, but it, you know, it's, it's all good. I stayed back and I, I got a lot of writing done. You know, I worked on my podcast, worked on some music projects and stuff like that, but, but boy, did it break my heart because again, love the, I'm a lover of the road trip and it just broke my heart that I couldn't go with them. I mean, that oh. right there is, I'll take a road trip vacation with family over anything else. I don't need to go to the beach somewhere and bake in the sun and, and, and do all I, I, that. Let I, me have that road way. trip. Let me have a road trip. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's like, a, I don't know. There's something about the road, you know, so I mentioned um, writing a series. So I'm, I'm yes. in a. Uh, What's it called? Uh, so it's called the Miller line. And it's about a, um, basically a female-run trucking company in Ohio. Now, now is, this something is this something you're working on now, or is this something that's already yeah. out? You're working no, on I'm it now? I'm working on it okay. right now, yeah. currently, yeah. And yeah. I've got um, Craig Mason, who did Chernobyl, and Jack Lesko did Chernobyl. Um, there, there are EPs on the project. and um, No, I thought about this, uh, like, 10 years ago, I, was, I, I had this idea because my Aunt Jeannie ran a trucking company. She had a small fleet. She had, like, you know, 20 trucks. And um, she was a team driver. Yeah. And then my sister became a truck driver. And I found the, the world fascinating. And then I, you know, I thought about my family within the world, which my family is a bunch of crazies. <laughs> and I thought, what a weird, what an interesting space to tell a story. Um, just that is a great idea for a the story. The lines are so different. Yeah, yeah it is. And, yeah. and the patriarchs of the family die in this freak accident in the pilot. Um, Paul Miller and, and his son Carl, and they die and, and leave this hot mess to the women to basically fix and run. And they end up running drugs. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fascinated with what gets people to certain lines, right? I'm always wondering, like, what makes, like my mother, why'd my mom yeah. run drugs? What happened? She was uneducated, she had the opportunity to make money, and she had kids. You know, uh, those, there's, there's these sort of elements that you can put together and they are, it, you, it's not, it's not rocket science. You're like, it's, wow, it's really okay, not, that, it's really not. It's no. a, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of opportunity. It's yeah. a matter of, it's yeah, a matter of personal, sure. It's a matter of personal circumstance and opportunity. How can and you better your person? something. Well, and yeah. being good at something too, John. That was the one thing I know you were in the narcotics world. I, I keep going back to that with my mother. People, people talk about. Oh God, you know, people that don't know middle-class, like people that, that sort of grew up in different circumstances, like, Oh my God, why would, 
can't believe your mom ran drugs. What would have to happen? How would that happen? Blah, blah, blah. And all these kind of like. It, it's yeah. really not that. It's not rocket science to figure out why people turn to that. It really isn't. She was good at coordinating. If she had an education, she would have been running a Fortune 500 company. You know what I mean? It's yeah. that it's, she was really good at people. She was really good at making sure shit showed up on time. She's really good at coordinating things and making them happen. It's really fascinating. It really, it really is. If you, if you, if you try and get inside the lives, the circumstances of people who have done that, you know, some of the, some of the best films to watch are, are true stories of, of men and women who have who have run drugs it really is or, or not necessarily just run drugs but 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 lived a life of crime um uh what is that movie with leonardo dicaprio uh, catch me if you can i love yeah. that movie mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. realness of it and what led him to do that and how he maneuvered and manipulated in order to succeed it's mm-hmm. a it's that life is fascinating it really is it is it is and the idea of, of where those lines are with people i don't i mean i by the way i'm, I'm fully aware of um your perspective and uh, uh um you know your son you, you you shared that with me last time we spoke yes so there's there's a there's a collateral but, but, damage side of it. Of sure, sure. Goes, right? there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a user on the other end of that. But that was never my mom's sort of her, no. because of her sort of compartmentalizing her, her skills and what she did. It was the, it, it, she could have been coordinating uh, trucks. She could have been, you yeah, know, like yeah. she could have been a dispatcher. She could have been, she could have been doing something completely different, but she was good at that because yeah. it, was an opportunity and was given to her. Look, I'll, I'll say this, you know, for, for anybody who's a first time watcher, a first time listener, and if you don't know the backstory uh, to my son, my son died in November of 2019 of a heroin overdose. Um, but, but look, him, him dying from that, him being, me finding out that he was addicted to heroin in many ways changed or, or, or softened my approach when it comes to narcotics and addiction. Um, you can't put this blanket over that whole world and say that it's evil and the people in it are evil. Of, of course, addiction in itself is evil and drugs can have an evil effect on people, but, but I'm talking about the people in it, whether you're a seller, a dealer, or whether you're a user or an, or an addict. It, it you can't or I can't say that all of, I mean was my son evil absolutely not not only was he an addict <clears throat> but he also um I don't know if you want to call him a dealer but he you know part of his way of supplying his addiction was making pickups for some big time dealers and he would get a cut uh from what he said for his own personal use you know I don't know if I should believe all of that, that it was only for his own personal use. But, but, but to say that people who are in that world are just evil, uh, I, I can't do that because my son wasn't evil. <laughs> he wasn't. My mom's not evil. Exactly. My exactly. mom's the kindest. She has the biggest heart. There's, She's the kindest. He will yeah. give you the shirt off her damn back. And we kind of touched on that. it. And we kind of touched <laughs> on it. But everybody who is in that world, from whatever end of the drug thing, all of those people have a backstory 
uh, some of them are motivated by things that we are also motivated by, but they just chose to try and get what they needed by doing that. So it, it, it my, my son passing, it, it really changed my, my, and I'm not saying I was a hard hearted person before that, but it really did change a lot of my uh, thinking when it comes to narcotics and dealing and, and addiction and everything. Of course it would, I'd be, I'd be a robot if it didn't change me in, in some way. Of course. And then I'd be a robot if I, if I had a hard stance on, you know, women in, I ended up working with women in prisons. Yeah. You know, I worked with um, uh, Tim Robbins. Uh, I spent God, I love that guy. Ten plus, uh, ten plus years um, with a, an acting uh, company, theater company in Los Angeles called the Actors Gang, and they have something called the Prison Project, where we go in as actors, and we it's a it's a series of programs. So you end up going in and working with the same prisoners over the course of yeah. you know six months a year um, to help them. Give them to help give them tools, emotional tools, so that when they they are out, they can integrate back into society without having to wear that mask. Because that's really it's yeah. like prison. Prison yep. is no fucking joke, folks. It's no joke, and people deserve the opportunity to make a good life for themselves when they're finished. I've had that's three. Right. I've had three guests on from an organization called the Human Kindness Project, and they do work to try and help uh, people who are incarcerated and people who have been incarcerated to straight up fix their life uh mm -hmm. again my son's passing has made me change the way i think about these kind of things so i try to put people like that on my podcast so that they can get the word out to as many people as possible about the work they do and then besides yeah. them i think i've had four people on my podcast who have been incarcerated for any number of years before and again yeah. with the meaning is to so they can tell their story. I would love to have your mom on. I don't know. She's the kind of person. Oh, she's, like... she's so, she's so fascinating. <laughs> is she she's shy? in her 70s she... now. Is no, she... shy? No, 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 no. Uh, Again, it's like a badge. It's kind of yeah. like, I, I, it's like a badge of honor. It's not, she did it. She's like, yeah, I did there. You basically went well, there, got the t-shirt and came back. You know what I mean? We, like... Yeah. And, and aren't we the sum of our life experiences? So that's a part of who she is, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I'm sure she's a good person, as you say. So that she goodness, good that goodness, she that goodness that she has, has been forged in part by her incarceration and what she did in order to be incarcerated. You can't and erase I, and that. And I learned about her. John. Huh? I learned about her through the process of her going to prison and going through, you know, had not having her in my life and then ended up, she came out. It was, it was, it was tough. She was always uh, attracted to assholes mm. um, and particularly assholes that like to beat her up. And uh. at some point, I think around the time I was 11 years old, um, I just told her, I said, I, I can't live with you anymore. I can't, I can't. You also, said that, you also, said that as yeah. an 11 year old. And then, you know, I said, I can't do it. That's I, I'd incredible. Moved, I'd gone to 11 schools by the time I was 11 years old. And by the time I went to Norton, by the way, Norton was my stable point. Norton became, that was where my grandmother lived. And I ended up, I said, I want to live with grandma. And I lived with my grandmother. My grandmother mm -hmm. raised me from 11 on. And um, my my mother, she's a, she's a, she's a great, she's a huge heart. And, but I learned about her. I, I got to understand my mother from afar yes. a little bit so yes. that I could, I could better process her because living her life with her sucked, it, you know, I can, imagine. You know I can imagine being, 
you know, hiding in closets while she gets the shit kicked out yeah. of her is not is not how you want to. But what fascinates so, me is that you, as an eleven year old, had the I don't know uh, awareness, the the maturity, the guts to tell her that she couldn't do this anymore. That is, I was smart, highly I was smart. unusual. I was just, highly I, unusual. Like I told her, I said, I don't have to make your mistakes. I told her at eleven years old, I said, I don't have to. You've made all the mistakes. I don't have to make the mistakes again. Again, I don't have to go through this. I don't have to live my your life with you as you're making it. Like yeah. I, it was like it was so clear to me, like yeah. clear as driven snow. Just like I don't have to do that. And, Interesting. Um, and you know that's amazing that you did that. Go live with my grandma. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's real. That's real. But uh, but but going being able to experience my mother in a, in a different way. I learned about my mom, and what I learned about my mother. Instead of blaming her for not finishing high school, instead of blaming her for going to prison, instead of blaming her and, and saying, oh, you did it wrong, I learned about her. And what I learned about my mother was that she was raped when she was 13 years old. Oh, wow. And that it changed her entire trajectory. Of course. It changed everything about my mother changed at that point. And, and she talks about it. She ended up going to therapy at the age of, I don't know, 60. And cried on oh, my mother like cried like a baby to me and said that that changed her life of course like, it just did she yes. she raged against the machine that she didn't know what the machine was after that she just raged against it yes and that became her entire life raging wow. against the machine that she didn't know who the machine was wow because she didn't have therapy she was sent away at, after that she was sent away to, to fucking deal with it with the nuns, you know what I mean? That's what they okay. did. Okay, so her, so her, your your grandparents knew about it then, and that was their way of oh, yeah. dealing with it was sending her away. Oh my goodness! But that was, was that was normal. For, that was normal back then. There wasn't therapy. After that, she was out of control. Yeah. Out of control. Wow, that poor yeah. woman. No, I shouldn't right. say that because now she's okay, right? So. Oh, of course, yeah, she's fine. But that, but that poor woman went through her. She went. Yeah, she had teens, twenties, thirties. As a shitty mom, making shitty decisions for, you know what I mean, like on and on and on. And then came out the other side around her 40, around 40 years old, she turned, she turned the corner. Okay. 40. Yeah. That's how long it took. That's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So. And maintained her, she's a good person all the way throughout it, but made yeah. a lot of mistakes. Yeah. A lot of well, mistakes. Well, something... used to say, I'm doing my best. I said, your best isn't good enough, mom. Well, but see, and, and that's important. That's important to talk about a little bit because a lot of people are under the impression, you know, you, and you see it in people's actions and what they say, that if someone is doing something wrong, they're making bad decisions, well, that person is worthless. That's a bad person. And that's just not the case. You have to open your mind to the possibility that this person who is making these bad mistakes isn't doing it because they choose consciously to do it, but they are affected by some sort of trauma, something that they've, you know, in your mother's case, uh, addiction, which probably is directly, I mean, I don't want to say probably it is, I'm not a psychologist, but it is directly related to what happened to her with being raped when she was 13. And people seem to close off that compassionate side. It's been cool to yeah, be a hard ass. It's been cool to be a dickhead these days and just judge, judge, judge. Judge, judge, judge. And and, and that uh, compassionate thing that is human, it's very human, but for some reason it's being suppressed these days. That compassionate thing that says, yeah, this guy or this woman must have gone through something. Let me try and understand that. 
people just aren't doing it. Where, just yeah, doing what it. is that? It's like the idea that people would you think you just wake up and, and say, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be a drug runner. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell what, you what, what it is. I'll tell you what it is today without getting into a long political discussion. I will say that it is the former president who made it cool to be an asshole. Oh, yeah. He got oh, up yeah. there and he said the things that he said and he talked so much against uh, what he calls political correctness. I just call it uh, consequences for shitty behavior. Yeah. <laughs> and and he yeah. made it cool uh, to have that mindset, that hard hearted, uh, uh, judgmental mindset. He made that cool. And he made it, and he, he made it from such a space. Like if people oh, knew the silver spoon that that motherfucker was born with, it's like. They, they think he's, I'm like, the people that aligned with him, I'm like, wait a minute, well, ho, ho, ho. You live in a trailer, or a mobile home, whatever you want to call it. You live in a trailer, you make $10 an hour or less, and you're going to you're gonna finger point to some poor fucker who's on welfare who wants free health care. And that is some, that's some, 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 well, dichot- that's some, some well, double fiction. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how is it possible that this guy was able to do that? It's fascinating. And how it is that these people don't see that he has nothing but disdain for them. He wouldn't oh, yeah. be seen with someone making less than X number of millions of dollars. And he's proven that up through the years. And it's he's documented. such a loser. No, so there's something there's something in society today and i do believe he opened the door to make it acceptable this thing where there's a lack of compassion you know i can't look at someone like my son or look at someone like your mother and just write them off i can't do that it's not in my heart to do that it just isn't but that's me and i'm not saying i'm better than anybody i'm just saying that's just me and i truly don't understand these people who have no compassion you know um uh, they look at someone who's poor, they're on food stamps, uh, so-called welfare, and they just write them off. Oh, that's someone who doesn't work hard. How do you know that? How do you know uh, what that person has been that? through? How do you know that what that person is going through? My mom always had three jobs. We were on welfare my whole life, my, the entirety of my, my up to zero to 18, basically, after my, especially after my mom went to prison and came out. I mean, like, but she always did it under the table, right? People like, oh, people cheating the system. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like all yeah. clutching pearls about people cheating <laughs> the fucking system. But you know what the system is? Because the system, I mean, I, I stood in line for cheese. Those blocks of cheese, those Velveeta cheese blocks. That's, that's welfare cheese, right? I've, I've done it. And I can tell you that the system gives you just enough not to die. Yeah. Basically, yeah. they're giving you. So you have to cheat the system to actually try to get out of the system. Like it, it's it's the system is wrong. It is. The, it is the system up. is not set up to truly help people out of poverty. It just isn't. And I tell it's you, a, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, been it's a, quite it's been quite the eye opener for me to move here to Norway and see the good system that is in place here to where everybody is taken care of, to where, uh, you know, and there's a myth uh, going around among the right-wingers back home in the States that that places like Norway, they're taxing us to death. No, they're not. Uh, Oh, is it more than the 50% that we get taxed? You know, I don't know a single person who gets taxed 50%. You know, if you make, you know, if you're you're a middle, average middle-class person, you're gonna get taxed at around anywhere between 25 to 30%. And then if you make overtime, you're going to get taxed in a higher bracket. But I tell you, those extra taxes that they take are 
of course I reacted to it when I first came here. I'm like, oh, wow, are they going to take that much in taxes? But right away, I started to see what I get for that. I get a doctor's visit that doesn't cost anything. I get a hospital stay. Remember I told you eight surgeries yes. on my shoulder? I wouldn't have had eight surgeries back in the States. I just would have had to deal with my arm not working because I no, would have been know, able to be afford it. No, you know, you'd be on opiates. It. Thank you. You get, you get hooked on Thank opiates. You. What, what, what happened? In the States, you go to the, you go because you're some shit-ass doctor that's going to prescribe you opiates instead of instead of going and, and actually taking care of the problem. They'd rather medicate the fuck out of you so that you can turn around and keep coming back. Preach it, sister, for the people in the back. That is God's truth right there. And my eyes have been open for the last 19 years living in this safe place where I know that things are taken care of, where I have a well-paid, uh, a, a, a nice solid income. And if things happen where I, I'm in this situation where I've had eight surgeries, I'm having another one coming up in just a few months. And I don't, you know what? I don't have to think about it. Nobody is going to suffer because of medical bills over here. Nobody is going to not get the, and, and the thing is, is why, why is Norway better than America in that sense? That does not have to be the case. Well, so, because we're a capitalist, there's, that's a deep question, actually, John, and that's something maybe we can we can we can sign that. That's a whole. That's a whole podcast. That's a whole. whole podcast. Because I think I think there is a lot of um, uh, misconceptions about why we are where we are, and it has to do with how we started. Look, no. we started on slave labor. Yep. Okay, we, we our entire system started with free, free. I say free labor, uh, and I do that in quotes for people that can't see me because it's. <laughs> The, the toll on the, the human toll was not free, but the idea that we started in a, it, just the mindset, people think capitalism, capitalism, capitalism is so great. If you study capitalism, if you know anything, just pick up a book and look at a book on capitalism, the, the actual structure of capitalism is not sustainable. It's just not, it's, 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 not. A, it's, a, it's like eating its own tail. Like you end up in this sort of really bizarre cycle that, that's where we are, and well, that's how you get where we are. Well, I think we've come to this state in uh, this condition with our capitalism in America where it's a heartless capitalism. Capitalism with it a is. heart can work. Capitalism with a heart can, can, can uh, be a thing where, where everybody can prosper. But when it's this heartless dog-eat-dog -dog world, it's just, you know, and, I, and again, I, I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole where we end up talking about. Yeah, there's about, nothing wrong with making money. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, know, I love money. I money, love making money. <laughs> money, uh, money will not, money, money will not make me happy. But money will definitely pay for the search for happiness. So, so, <laughs> so I'll take all I can get <laughs> with a clear yeah, conscience. Exactly. But uh, no, I don't know. We, we, we're just in a real ugly yeah. situation. But, you know, I, I don't that's that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast that we can take up. It is. A but whole other, but let me ask you this. Back to kind of where we where we started. Well, yeah, absolutely. Know, like it Ohio. does. It, well, yeah, but it's that blue collar roots, those it blue is. collar roots of like you, you work hard and you get paid. Yeah. Right. You work hard. It's somehow equivalent. That's actually not how it works. We have we have been fed a, a, a sort of a, a. How do I say it? A philosophical, we've had a philosophical agreement, right, where we were raised that if I work really hard, I get paid, yeah. and I do well. That is not reality. The people that I know that make the most money work the least. 
just so you know, I know billionaires. I've got billion friends of mine that are billionaires. Well, they have money that works for them. They've managed to get to yeah, that point. Yeah, so all other, all other, yeah, and ones that don't, the, even people that I know that are millionaires. Yeah. They don't work as hard as my sister. Yeah, yeah. Who, who runs the kitchens, like does all the, like organizing for the kitchens at Google. She works her fucking ass off. And, and for... $17 an hour. And you have a lot of people on the far right who will try to say that, you know, when we have these kind of conversations, they'll try to say that we are not patriotic or that we're anti something. Oh, I am. I'm not I anti am anything. Piece, I am I every am, piece of American that you could. I am. What the I reason am, that we are talking is because exactly, I'm Thank you. And what I am is someone who is so patriotic that I believe that every American should have a fair shot. And that is not the that's case. Right. And that's why I talk about these things. I've, I tell you, I catch a lot of heat. But that's Ohio, John. See, well, Ohio has, that's the beauty about, and that's why I write about it. That's why I have this trucking series based in Ohio. The people from Ohio have a very unique sense of justice and morality. I think so. I don't. It, it is. There is. A, yeah. There's a real like. They're grounded in a morality of goodness. I swear on my life. I, I know. And even though we we differ when it comes to politics and things, their moral compass is pretty secure. And it, and again, it comes from that those those roots, those long roots that we talked about yeah. speaking earlier of there's these long roots of immigrant. They're like immigrant um roots. Um, Did you have a lot of friends who I had so many friends in in Norton whose parents spoke with a thick Appalachian accent? Meaning yeah. that they came up from a lot of them from West Virginia or Virginia or Kentucky. Well, uh, we have all, all my families from West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. So there's something about our little area of Ohio where people, you know, they came up for the work. In my case, my both sets of my grandparents came up uh, from the South uh, during and immediately after World War II for the jobs. So a lot mm -hmm. of people, and, and, you know, and that's my grandparents, but again, I had friends whose parents you know, uh, uh, were recent, uh, 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 let's call them immigrants from, mm -hmm. from, from Southern states. And I think mm -hmm. that has a lot to do, you know, those people are not afraid, you know, we were kind of halfway joking about some, you know, some of them being kind of backwards from North Carolina, but there is this work ethic. There is this sense of fairness, um, that comes from those people. It, there's, there's, <clears throat> it's, I keep calling it an agreement, but there's an agreement, right? Yeah. They believe, yeah. they believe in the agreement and the agreement is if I work hard, I'll get, I get yeah. paid and I have a great life, right? And the way I get the white picket fence. Yeah. The problem with that agreement is that there are a bunch of people not playing. They're not playing fair. Or don't, or, or not they playing fair. The they don't believe, they change the rules, but everybody else is still in the agreement. Everyone's still in the gentleman's the rules, agreement. Everybody, like, the rules like, got changed. The rules got changed in the early to middle 1980s. Uh, yep, thank you, right. thank you, Ronald Reagan. The rules got Ronald changed, Reagan, and, yeah, and, and it's caught Everybody up with loves us. Ronald Reagan. I'm like, really? You well, love Ronald Reagan? Well, it's you caught up with Ronald us Reagan? now. <laughs> but that, but that, that work ethic, that that wholesomeness, that 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 uh, that uh, that personal strength that you got from your time in Norton, that you got from your mother firsthand, you're putting that into the work that you do. You've put it into uh, the series that you're writing. And you're putting it in a certain sense in the Shamara project. Yeah. Tell right. us, tell us about that. But by the way, 
you know, I, I you know, I, I feel like I should have known you because we <laughs> can't come from the same town. I feel like I've known you for the last, you know, 30, 30 years, but I haven't. You know, we've only just recently started talking. But so much, and this is going to come out in this episode, but so much of what you and I uh, believe in, so much of who you and I are, is in common. And I think the work that you're doing with the Shemera Project is another testament to our commonality that you and I have. Thank Tell you. us, please, thank about you. your, thank you. Tell I, us, please, I'm, I'm about your project. I'm very passionate about that. We're, well, so I, I founded a nonprofit about eight years ago, about eight years old. So we're fairly young in the nonprofit world. Um, a nonprofit dedicated to gender equality in the film industry. Because it, eight years ago, <laughs> um, I was looking around, and the numbers, when you... When you look, everything you see, everything from television to commercials to to films to uh, just across the board, all media, only 2% of what you're looking at is directed by women. Exactly. And that was, that was eight years ago. Okay. So now that the, the meter, the, the meter changed, I mean, we slightly moved it. I mean, it's like yeah. 10% now. Yeah. So only 10%. Yeah. And, you know, women wonder... Because I, I was wondering at that time, I was like, why, why don't I see my people? Why don't I see women the way that I would write them? Why don't I see, why am I not seeing it? It's because it's through the male it's gaze. It's because it's the men who are doing the writing, the directing, the producing, Across the financing. The yeah. The editing, the, 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 yeah. exactly. They're giving the money to the people to tell the stories about the, the mom who, who's the, the cookie cutter mom who just, you know, is, is, is a sex pot on the weekends or whatever, whatever their stories <laughs> were. It was like, you know, they're just these stories of women. And I was like, why, why did Shakespeare know women better than modern day society? Good point. Because he knew women. What happened? He knew, he knew how to write a part yes. for a woman. And Absolutely. He, yeah, he did. Absolutely. Yes, he did. Lady Macbeth, motherfucking badass. Good point. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, these, cool, and these women, they were just like badasses. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, there's this break. And you go, wait a minute, where's the break? where'd the break happen? It happened in film and television. It happened because we have been, and even in the 20s, I mean, the 20s, we had more female directors in the 20s than we do today. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now that's a little piece of information I never would have suspected. Yeah. Huh. There's, a, there's a fantastic documentary. I have to think of the name of it, and I'll, I can send it to you. But it's, a, it's all about basically where women have gone. What so, happened? So, so how does the, in practical terms, how does the Shamara Project, how does this nonprofit um, address the issue, um, the fact that there is no gender equality in the film business. How do you, how do you shine so a light on it? So, okay, so there's, as being from Ohio and people that do, we're, we're doers in Ohio. I say that generally, but mostly we yeah. are. My take on starting a, founding a nonprofit was we have to do something. Yeah. We can't talk about it. Part of it, part of it, is bringing awareness and bringing sure. um, that into the conversation, like the problem into the conversation. And then it's like, but what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Right. So one of the things that we pinpointed early on was the where, 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 how does it begin? Where's, where's the problem? How do, how do we, how do we get to it from at the core of it? And, and in order to change the problem. We have to change the hiring practices. Um, you know, I'm having the conversation right now about, you know, BLM and 
um, LGBTQ, um, how do we, how do we become more diverse? And it's like, well, you hire people, you give them money, you give them voice, you give them agency. That's how you change the, that's how you change the actual problem. Yeah. So right now, um, after eight years, what we do, our programs, we have something called to get her, which is basically a finishing funds program. So when you get to, when you're making a film, sometimes you just run out of money. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, you can get to the end and you don't have, you know, $5,000 to finish, to get your clearances, or you don't have money for your composer. Or you don't have money for this or that. Basically to finish your film, you made your film, you went through the war, right? You went, you yeah. went through the battle, you battled it out and you got to the other side of it and you're sitting in, you know, the field and you just can't, you can't make it out. Right. It sucks. And that's, it happens with a lot of people. So we, we give finishing funds to female and non-binary filmmakers um, to finish their, their projects. And those projects have to be 50% parody behind camera. It's not just in front of camera. I know everyone Say, say that again, 50% what? Parody. So the idea is 50% It's like parody, uh, female and male. Okay. Like okay, we have, it. the parody has to be, um, got it. Yeah. 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 Um, so it has to, that's how you get money from us, right? Yeah. Is by already doing the work, but where we're shifting that because we realize where the real problem is in filmmaking is seed money. Uh, if you give women money, they will change the world. That's, that's, that's it. I believe that's that. That's in a nutshell. And I believe uh, it. And it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. If you really want to change, if you really want to help female filmmakers, give them fucking money. Right now, and I know you're not in this business, but entertainment is a, it's a, it's a funny place, right? So we have a lot of, they'll give you, sure, they'll give you a million dollars to go and make your, your female drama, right? Yeah. And that's called a female drama. That's that's a genre, right? Um, because it's it's really it's like a pat on the back and they're like, great. Yeah. Go make a little film. But those films don't really transcend very, like some of them do, some of them break out, but they don't transcend into genres that actually pay. Right. Okay. They don't, okay. they don't become action films. No, those, no. those, that's where the money it's is. It's hard. It's, it's right. It's hard to transcend that into genres. Right. when you, Your first films are always female dramas. Yeah. Female dramas. They just, they stay on, on, you know, in that little fun little box that they have on in Netflix, you know, like, yeah. Oh, female drama. There you go. Right. Um, so it's all about crossing genre. And so what we're doing on a bigger, in a bigger picture and our, our big, hairy, audacious goal for the Shamir project is to become a pipeline for female filmmakers to give them money from the, from the start, help them develop their project, get it in, get it into production and then come out the other side. In the other words, guide them and support them through the entire process from start to yeah. finish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the big goal. Right now, we're we're doing the, the finishing funds money, which is more like a Band-Aid, quite frankly. Um, yeah. But it, it's, a, it's a helpful Band-Aid, but it's also just a Band-Aid. Now we're getting into the seed money start of it, where, we're, the, where you begin, because that's really where you change women's right. lives. Right, Is at the beginning, because they, that's not there. So are you the one who is out there, you know, boots on the ground, trying to... Uh, you know, to, to gather in funds and whatnot, or do you have, have you hired in someone who's the face of it or? We have, we have a board of directors. The way nonprofits work is there's a board of directors and we bring in people that are, um, that can help our, our, pro help our progress. Right. Yeah. So we bring in people that know, have a piece of something that we need. 
and right now we just brought in three more um, board members, and one of them ran, you know, Stan Lee's company. Oh. Um, yeah, no, no, we've got great, we've got a great board right now. I'm so excited about our board. Um, and the other one worked with, uh, you know, worked with the Wachowski sisters now. Um, but all the, you know, the, uh, what, what's the, um, trying to blank. I'm totally blanking on this. Um, Wachowski's did, uh, uh, what's the movie? Totally blanking. <laughs> uh, Oh my God. Totally blanking. Oh. I'll think of it in a second. Anyway, <laughs> point being is that we have badass, we have a badass board of directors. Yeah. That's, that's killing it. Like, so they're people of influence, world. people who will be listened yeah. to when they speak and that will help drive right. the, the funding of it all. That's good. Well, yeah. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great program because there is inequality in, uh, in Hollywood, um, not just for women, but also for people of color. Do you see a certain, do you see an opportunity for an ally, uh, an allyship, if we can call it that, uh, with people of color in Hollywood? Oh, we, yeah, well, definitely. Absolutely. One of the things that, um, so we have another program right now called Support Her. Yeah. And basically, it's a mentorship program. And uh, I mean, these are conversations that are, that are kind of like nonprofit world conversations. But in order to create equity, even going back to applying for a mentorship program, right? Which we have six mentors that are, it's, you know, it's amazing people. We have a visual effects compositor who did every Marvel film that you can, you know, like from How cool everything. How From Ant-Man to the latest. I just, yeah. just on, like, he's amazing. He's a mentor. And then we've got Tosca Musk, which is Elon Musk's sister, who is also a director and producer, who is a mentor, with this program, right? So you can apply. Basically, yeah. you get on there and you're like, okay, this is my, this is my flavor. Let me, let me go and do this. Yeah. And people that apply well usually aren't the people who need mentorship. Ah, you know? interesting point. So it's like we have, we are, we're going, we're, we go deep on this, like on the equity side of things. We're like, yeah. how do you create equity within the application process? How that do we do that? Very, right? That's an interesting approach. So when you talk about people of color and you talk about where we are, we're not like a, you know, this people have an idea about nonprofits, a bunch of, you know, rich white ladies, you know, drinking cocktails, wanting yeah. to do good for the world. Oh, isn't that with a savior complex, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on, but we're not that company. You know, no. we're not that organization. We're doing our, we're doing the work from the get-go. So when I look at your, the people that are looking at the applications are, are, uh, at least we're 50% people of color so that they can look at an application and recognize, I see that uh -huh. this person may need a little help, but they have a passion right? and they're going to take this, they're going to take this mentorship and they're going to run with it as opposed to somebody, no offense to, the kids that come out of good schools that know how to write applications yeah. that have all the right things that to, yeah. you know they know how to say all the right things. I mean, I am in a situation right now. Let me be delicate about this. Where I'm, there's someone that we brought in not through this, not for my organization, but for something else I'm doing. Uh -huh. um, someone who 
God, they're just privileged. Just like, <laughs> it's so annoying. And it's so, it, it's cloying to me. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's upsetting to know that they got through this application process because they knew what everything, the right things to say. And here they are given an opportunity that they should never fucking be given. Yeah. They're like, there's somebody behind you that really needed to have this art, artist residency, for but example, what, do say, what we're doing. What do you say so. to the people who say, well, you know, uh, affirmative action or, or it's, it's, it's a, it's a sympathy hire or, or may the no, best, yeah, may no, the no, best no, man, no, yeah, may the yeah. best, may the best man win. What do you, what do you oh, say oh, to oh, those people? Oh, really? Yeah. Right. So, so that, so then they don't understand equity. Exactly. People that, that say that don't understand really exactly. what equity is about. It's one equity thing to be about, equal, but equity is a totally different it's concept. It's a totally different concept. And that's something that, you know, again, I'm in nonprofit world, so I'm, I'm, I'm knee deep in, in these conversations. So I'm sure you might have some listeners that are going to tune out right about now, but um, equity is not a, it's like everybody being able to look out the same window, right? It's right. like you're, you're sitting there, you, you know, that you ever seen that little cartoon where they have the fence and there's all these That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. With the different yeah. heights of the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Equity is making sure that everybody can see over the fucking fence. Exactly. Like, let's just make sure everybody gets a chance to look over the fence. Yeah. And right now with, with how these programs work, I mean, if it's the, you know, there's a diversity program with, with Warner brothers and there's a, there's a directing, um, shadowing program with, uh, whoever you know another studio that pro the pro that simple process that you have to go through to get those yeah is in itself Exclusion, yeah exclusionary yeah so of course the people that are getting through it are already but see that mirrors but that mirrors society in general that's you know you're, you're going to see that with certain job applications and the processes uh, or what is that word, processes <laughs> that people have to go through in order to apply for a job. It already starts off on an uneven playing field. So I you can't it. say that blanket may the best man win or there's no sympathy hires or nothing when at the application process already there is inequality. There's no equity. We there. have to push. We have to. That, so for, um, it's funny because I just had this conversation. I was on another podcast about, about this program in particular and don't they go on other well, podcasts. Just come, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> I thought but we had a thing going wait. here. <laughs> <laughs> it was before you. It was before you. Okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, but there, there was a question about, um, what, you know, are we, how are we creating equity? And I said, well, the, you have, first of all, you have to be female or non-binary. Okay. And if you're a person of color, it helps. And they were like, oh, is that, is that a, you know, how does that work? You know, kind of idea about, you know, I'm like, that's how it works. And, and you know what my answer that would be? How it, that's, that's because how it fucking works. That's because that's how America <laughs> has worked for the last 300 years. That's that, right. That, that the that's playing right. field has, yeah, uh, you know. Guess uh, what? You just, you, you can call it ticking off boxes. You can do whatever you want. But I will, I will push harder for someone, a person of color who is applying to this, this program. If I see... Uh, a, a, a white woman who has been given everything or maybe not, maybe even like a, had a, a adverse, you know, yeah. a, a tough background like myself, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I'm white and I look, I look and I'm blonde and I look like something, but 
I, I wasn't given anything either. Right? right. But if I look at a white woman like myself, I'll just call it that. And then I look at a woman of color. I am going to probably push harder yeah. for the woman of color. If she is passionate about what she wants to do, I'm, right. I'm, you know, then, right. then the passion comes and in. The talent, they have to have talent. They have to have the ambition. And of, the, course, of course, of course, of course. The want, then the want has to be there. Well, I say hats off to people like you because it's people like you uh, doing the kind of work that you are doing with the Shamir Project, and 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 uh, and I'm sure it's not just in the project. I'm sure this shines through in everything you do. That you are out there for equality, and uh, even beyond equality, you're out there for equity. You're out there for for equal opportunity and leveling the playing field. And I think that's beautiful. There's just not enough of that in the world. There is. And, and, and thank you, John. But and I also, you know, people will say, why, you know, why is what, what, where, you know, what is that? Why are you so passionate about that in particular? Where's it coming from? I didn't have anything given to me. Yeah. Like I, I scraped for everything that I've had in my life. I mean, everything. Nothing was given to me. And no, I am. And and and, and I think about myself, and then I go. Jesus, imagine if I was a black woman. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like what? Like because there's I a set of I, burdens. There's a hard. set of hurdles that have to be gone over by everybody. But then there are other by things that make those hurdles a little bit higher um, for certain oops. for a certain dynamic of our society. Absolutely. Right. But see, right. what's and interesting about hard. you? What makes me so curious about you is, um, you know, and I and I get into this with my si sister. Uh, get into it. We, we, we talk about this very often because, <laughs> uh, because she has such a different view, a di different memory of what our hometown was like. And she's only a year younger than me. So we had a couple of friends in common. She's only a year younger than me. And yet her experience there was so different from mine. And then here you are with a story of uh, of course, you've risen to, to quite the successful life that you have now, but it is a story that started with a lot of hardship, a lot of misery, uh, and a good dose of trauma. And then for me to think that during those, you know, and I'm sure you're not the only person who has had uh, their share of trauma, it's, it's almost hard to understand how people like you were there in this hometown that just seems so quiet and simple when it was anything but for, for, for you and for other people. It's just interesting how life takes people in certain directions and yeah, environment means a lot, but here we grew up in the, you know, I'm not sure what part of, of Norton you grew up. I don't know. Uh, Norton right off of uh, like fairway drive. So I was, I was, okay. I, it was, it was, it's funny. Um, and you'll appreciate, I think you'll appreciate this. I think, um, I was talking to my husband and I used to get up in the morning and, um, run, yeah. you know, because, <laughs> because I just needed to run. I yeah. just needed to, 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 I don't know, um, from early, like early. I mean, I started running when I was in sixth grade, just getting up in the oh, morning wow. and running around, yes. yeah, running around my block and running. And I used to run through the allotment. They called them allotments. Yeah, I, mean, I lived right? right. I lived on Rymer Road, and on the other yeah, 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 no. and on yes. the other other side of the cornfield was Flesher allotment. Yes, yeah, yes. you remember yeah, the allotment? You, yes. Oh yeah, dude, I totally know. So, <laughs> what's the allotment? I'm trying to think of the allotment that was near me. It was right off of uh, it was right near the high school. Um, uh, it was nice where all the popular kids lived. 
I wanted um, to say, uh, not Shellheart, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it's right. That's the, it's the one I, right there. And I'm, it I'm escapes blanking. me. It escapes me. It but escapes I know, me, yeah. But so, so last time um, when he, I feel like he was, he came through with me or I, I can't remember what, what I was showing him pictures or something, but I was like this, I wanted to live here so badly. I would run through there and, and my imagination would just start, uh, start creating stories about how I lived there. I wanted to live in, in that box, you know, on the, in those little boxes that all look the same. I wanted yeah. so badly to live there, but I didn't. I lived off, like on, on Rhymer Road, okay. kind of off Rhymer or something, like off in this, yeah. this sort of, not rural, but not, not a part of a community. Yeah. You know, like it was its own and like, like, it, See my yeah. my my back then now since then they've built uh, they've built houses but but when I was growing up there it was just uh, some years there was corn there but for the most part it was just grass you yes. know f- yeah. five six foot tall grass and it was yeah, very rural and then we had the woods behind us and then right across oh, Medina yeah. Line Road was all that open woodland going towards Wadsworth oh, yeah. so it was oh, yeah. very very rural where I yeah. was and oh yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, so I lived right off of um. Uh, God, I'm totally blanking. It's Fairway Drive, but it was like um. I don't even remember the names of the streets. Brookside anymore. was Isn't it Brookside? Not Brookside. No, not Brookside. Um, no, Brookside. That, Brookside's that country the other, club. It was the on country, the back side of the country. The back club. Side. It was on the back side of yeah, that. Yeah, so. I wish I could remember what that allotment was called. I know exactly where you're talking about, though. I do. Yeah. Oh man, it's driving me crazy. But anyway, I remember just just running in the mornings and looking at those houses and wanting yeah. to live there and. Wow. Now I can laugh at it because I, I, like you couldn't pay me money <laughs> to live in a place like that. You know, like everything looking the same, everything being yeah. the same, the sameness, the sameness, everything, you know, the same four designs that whoever they are, the, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, construction. No, company that's not, that's not my like, thing These either. are the four we're going to do. Yeah. And they're just, it's, to me, it's so sad. And yet me living over where I live, I mean, I remember being uh, pulling in to high school and my mom always had like, my mom always had like hoopties, you know, I don't know if that means anything to you, but. Oh, like, absolutely. That's why I'm laughing. That used yes. to be something. Yes. Used to be yes. something. Like, right. So she had an old um, Cadillac. It was an old green Cadillac. <laughs> and, and my, my volleyball and basketball team loved that fucking car because it could fit the entire team in the car and so i always drove i had i had but, a lot of friends because of my car my first car was a 76 el camino green also oh, green. oh i love el caminos yep. oh, i had a lot God. of friends because of that car <laughs> i owned a ranchero for a little bit while i was in los angeles oh, cool. <laughs> yeah um so i know what a hoopty that, is that, absolutely yeah hoopty. and um and you couldn't you could only get in the passenger seats or in through the passenger because my my mom's uh, husband, boyfriend at the time, I, I don't remember what it was, um, kicked in the driver's side. Oh, the gosh. entire driver's side was kicked in, so what you couldn't guy. get in those doors. So we had to get in the, the passenger side to get in that car. And so I remember, um, and I forget his name, he was teaching world history, which I learned nothing about um, in high school, but he was a sweet uh, teacher. And Oh, gosh, like, I should know who that is. Um, uh, nice big guy, right? Yes. He was like a big Early dude, uh, kind of. Um, it's how I remember him anyway. Um, oh, that bugs me that I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he um, he said, I don't know how, I was doodling or something in class, and he says, so take Shauna, for instance. And I was like, yeah, what's up? You know, he said, 
she has character. Look at the car she drives. Like, she doesn't care. She doesn't, he, was, he was going on this whole rant about economics, socioeconomics, and like trying okay. to teach these fucking Nor- Nortonians something yeah. about it that he knew. And he was like, Shauna's got character. Like, that is character. That's what you, look at the car she drives. And I thought, wow. I was embarrassed at the time. My car didn't give me a character. It. My car made me a character. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Oh my god, I got. I need to see pictures. By the way, I need pictures. Ah. Um, um, but it was just one of those things where, where I realized after leaving there how important it was to be an individual. Yes. And to, to have, just to have. Did you feel to at own home? It. Did you feel at home there? No, I never felt at home there. No. Me neither. Those no, are the worst. Love, those I are the worst years of my life. My grandma. Yeah. I, well, I don't want to say all, the whole time we lived there. We moved there when I was in third grade. We moved from uh, from Goodyear Heights in Akron to Norton when I was in uh, third grade. I was <laughs> what seven seven years old. Oh, I know Goodyear Heights. And, yeah, yeah. We grew up, uh, or I was born rather, in in Akron and uh, lived the first seven years of my life in Goodyear Heights. So then, when we moved to Norton, you know, but but the, the my high school years. I say this all the time. Those are the worst years of my life. It was just terrible. God, I was just, I felt so out of place. I was depressed all the time. And it just, it just. And it didn't have a name then, right? It didn't even have a name like depression. I don't, I don't even know that I learned that word until I was in my twenties. Right. And who, you know, there was no, there was no, um, there was no talking to my parents about that. And, you know, they ended up getting divorced when I was what, 18 or 19, 19, I think 19. Oh, wow. Um, so they were going through their stuff. So there was no talking to them about how I felt. Who cared how I felt? How did you know? it work with your sister? Like your sister was a little younger and she was having a different experience. She was a year younger than me. She was, um, I don't think I'm revealing anything because she said this when she guested, uh, she guested on my podcast. It's been about a year ago now. Uh, you know, she was into having fun, into partying. She knew some people who were into the party and a little bit of drinking from those people, a little bit of weed and stuff like that. And I just, and when, when she would tell me, oh yeah, we used to do this, that and the other. And my jaw would hit the floor because I never saw it. I was so isolated from, from all of that stuff. You know, I never drank, never smoked, didn't know anybody really who did. Oh, I partied my face off. <laughs> no, so I, I, uh, I was kind of, kind of sheltered from all that stuff, and um, put putting up with racism, you know, being called <laughs> the N word, and even worse, was a oh, huge oh. burden from third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Up until seventh grade, because by the time I got into eighth grade, I was <laughs> so much bigger and stronger and more athletic than everybody. Then now they have they had learned their lesson. But for all those years up until then, the fights, the harassment and the fighting was constant. I kicked a lot of asses. I kicked a lot of asses. John, I, I'm going to say something because I, I think it's 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 important. And, and a lot of people get very defensive. Right? I know they as soon do. As you say the word racism, yep. they get really defensive. Like I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. It's so ingrained into the culture of that area. Well, yeah, yeah. That they don't know what racism is, and I can. Qu- and that's yeah. part of the problem. That's you know, I, I, um, I had a, um, I'll never forget, um, Goldsmith. I went to, I played volleyball with a girl by the name, her last name is Goldsmith, and we were talking about something, and I made the comment, 
I don't remember what it was, but I said something about, oh, well, he had to Jew him down. And she took me aside. She was lovely, lovely human being. She took me aside. And I'm going to cry. Think about it. Oh. As a friend, she took me aside and said, Shauna, that's really offensive to me. I'm Jewish. And I was like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. She said, I'm Jewish. What you're saying is a term that. And that was like, a common. I, 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 that I term, because of that my, term I was so common ignorance. back then. Like, and people, I know, but I was yeah. so ignorant. Yeah. yeah so yeah. fucking ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, my grandmother used the N word. And I, eventually when I was older, I said, grandma, you can't say that. Yeah. You can't say those words. Like they're hurtful. Well, I'm just saying, cause I know, blah, blah. I was like, you're hurt. You're being hurtful. Yeah. You're being hurtful and you don't know it. And well, I know, and I'm going to forgive you for it, but I'm telling you, you can't use that word about me. Like that. I learned words, how powerful words were later, not in Ohio, yeah. not around those people, not, yeah, yeah, it's ignorance. Yes. It's straight up ignorance. Well, see, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll qualify what I said. You know, I said I had to deal with a lot of racism when I was young, and I'll qualify that because I, I can qualify it by saying, I don't know that I dealt with a lot of racists, but I had to deal with a lot of racism. Now, let me explain racism. that because I find it difficult to believe that a seven-year-old kid is a racist. Correct. However, I can see that a seven-year-old kid, because it happened, a seven-year-old kid's practiced racism against me and my sister. And I can tell you, the very first day of school, okay, we moved um, right after uh, the end of second grade is when we moved. So we moved at the, the, the summer before third grade. And then the first day of school for third grade, the bus pulls up. And the bus driver, and I even remember the bus driver's name, but I'm not going to say it because he had uh, a couple of kids that went to school. I don't want to embarrass them. The bus driver opens the door to the bus, and right away we hear everybody on the bus chanting, and I'm going to say it word for word. They said, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, send them back to Africa. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. You know, and the ooh, ooh was like, like a monkey sound, ooh. Ooh, oh. uh, uh, send them back to Africa. Okay, now, now, but but get this, and here's where it was so pathetic. My little naive, unprepared, and my sister's unprepared, naive, innocent uh, brain or mind, we had never experienced racism before. We had no idea at that time that these kids were saying that to us about us because right. we were black. We didn't get it. Right. So we get on the bus and, you know, I don't, you know, think about it when you're at a football game or a basketball j game and the crowd is chanting, whatever it's, you know, you might get goosebumps yeah. and you get into it yeah. and you start chanting. Well, I'll be doggone. My sister and I started chanting it as well. That's so heartbreaking, John. It is heartbreaking. And this went on. I, I can't remember exactly how long it went on, but it went on for quite a while. Every time when that bus would pull up, that's what those kids were chanting. And my sister and I would join in. I can't remember when I realized that this is extremely racist. Because, you know, send them back to Africa. You know, what, what do I have? I'm not from Africa. Nobody I know is from Africa. Yeah, They're not right, talking. Right. How can this be about me? But what got me was... Uh, you know, today in retrospect, I would say that none of those kids were racists, but they are certainly imitating racist behavior that they certainly learned from their parents. And I will also go so far as to say that that bus driver 
probably was a racist himself because why in God's name yeah, where would did you he ever not, allow that? Why yes. did he allow that? Yes. How yes, right. could he have allowed that to happen? And I'll go back as well to all of those years of me fighting from third grade until seventh grade, fighting constantly. Like I said, I kicked a lot of asses before people yeah. learned to leave me alone. Where yeah. in the so name of all that is good, where were the adults at the time? Why yeah. did an adult never oh, step in and put a stop to that? So, so that's how I, exactly. That's so exactly. So that's how I qualified. I don't think I dealt with a lot of racists, but I dealt with a lot of kids who were imitating the racist behavior that they learned from their parents. I'll give you another one. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Wait, 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 hold on. I have to say this. Just, just. Small town Ohio. I don't, I would never, even in my ignorant brain, oh. I didn't even know what a Jewish person was, right? I would, I would never, I would, like using a, a phrase that I didn't know what it actually sure. context that's of. It just thing. used so much in my family that that was something that was like, oh, that's what you do when, sure. you, when you're sure. talking someone down, when you're sure. negotiating. That's the word for sure. it. But I would never, ever, ever chant that. Even it, it just I, like, think I, about I, it. Yeah. That's like mean kid behavior. That's some shit that I just don't understand. That. Exactly. And there's a put lot yourself, of mean kids. Yeah. Put yourself on that man, bus and try. Never do that. Yeah. Put yourself on that bus that. and try and imagine at any age saying that against a kid. That, that's just mean. And if you don't understand that, the, the, if you don't understand a racist element because you're too young, I get that. But the thing is, is some of those people who are on that bus are adults today yeah. who are talking a lot of shit whenever anyone brings up an issue of racism right you see what i'm saying so oh, yeah yeah i'm arguing with them on facebook trust me <laughs> exactly exactly and no, they've so, got that one black friend they got one black friend yeah. that makes them not racist and i'm like yeah but you, everything about you like, exactly your whole entire exactly. perspective on life is is completely skewed so, against so i i you like, know i'm not a psychologist no. but i am an expert on myself and I would say, I would venture to say that those experiences from third grade up until seventh grade and even a little bit beyond put something into my, I don't know, self-image, uh, you know, how I looked at myself, what I thought about myself, what I thought my place in that little microcosm was to where it led to me being that depressed uh, and at times very angry kid and junior high and especially depressed in high school. I'm still angry, John. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still angry. And I'm, and, and I think that's something, you know, people say, I like to say I'm passionate, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of anger about not, because I, I had to fight, yeah. you know, when you talk about fighting, I think that's really what, what, that sort of sets people apart. I think so. Is have you been in a fight or have you not been in a fight? Exactly. Have you ever fucking like been in a physical? I'm not talking about pulling of hair. I mean, have you beat down people? <laughs> have you been beat down? And and Ohio is big on that. Yes. Like that school, yes. there was a lot of fighting. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember because I was tall. I'm five ten, right? So I'm coming in from as a as from middle school. Imagine this. As a middle schooler coming into the high school, having all these girls being like, I'm taking that bitch down. Right. And I'm like, all I wanted was to be liked. 
I had moved around school so much and done, you know, it's like I, I was wearing, I mean, it's hard. I was also, you know, sexually um, um, assaulted oh, when, I was, sorry. when I was 11 years old. And so I'm going into high school, like with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. And, and I've got all these big girls that I wanted to look up to and be, be a part of. And all they yeah. wanted to do was beat me up. And yeah. I was like, fuck it. You want to beat me up? Bring it bring on. Bring it. Bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah. And you know what I did? I beat the fuck out of all of them. See, and that was I me. Fucking, that... I became the baddest motherfucker <laughs> I in love it. school. I love it. I was just like, you want, you want it? Come on, See, man. And that I was will me. chew your goddamn face off. See, and like, that I was me. I had nothing to lose. Yeah, and that was me yeah. all the way up until seventh grade. Like I said, after that, I got so much, you know, and to, to carry that first day of school story even further, um, you know, that happened on the bus and then I, I go to school and then playground time you know uh, uh, recess time comes and 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 again i remember every name of every boy who did this but five six guys uh boys surrounded me on the playground and one of them stepped forward and just looked me up and down and then just blurted out the n-word and he, he couldn't even get to the second syllable and i put my i almost literally put my fist down his throat and that was that was the beginning of it all. That was the first day of school. Oh my god! And that kid, the one who was the ringleader at that time, if we fast forward to around maybe fifth or sixth grade, um, it was really weird because there was this intense rivalry and we fought a lot, but we also uh, carpooled for sports. You know, his mother and my, and my mother. And I can remember this happened a lot. His mother would be driving, and she's one of those people with that hillbilly West Virginia accent. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well. And he would be sitting in the front seat, and he would turn around and look at me and just look me up and down and then just spit out the N-word. And she would just sit there and do nothing and say nothing. We would get to baseball practice or football practice, get out of the car, and I would whoop the living shit out of him. But he never stopped. He was so persistent. He would do this just about what? every time. What the fuck? What is this? Who is this? I didn't even know who this guy is. I, I'll tell you off camera who it is. I'll tell okay. you. I'm sure, and I'm I sure you remember know. the name. Uh, even though we were four, four years uh, ahead, I'm sure mm. you will know the name because he was quite popular. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that I notice about... I mean, maybe Ohio is not different than small town in Texas. I, you know, I think small towns are small towns, and the so mentality do I. So do I. is pretty, pretty basic. But the people that become popular, I look back <laughs> at the people I was like, oh, they're popular, and I'm not. Yes. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> oh my God, lameness people. Yeah. Like, you know. Why was I so? Why was anyone fascinated with that person? Why? Yeah. What was what was the fascination? What 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 is it? What was it? I don't Cute, know. But you know, and when kids are weird. Teenagers are weird. They just find that the stupidest oh. things are cool. It's like so so these <laughs> these experiences from way back then they've kind of shaped who we are uh, today. You know, you have this. Um, I see in you a certain amount of fortitude, a large amount of fortitude, toughness, uh, focus, determination. Um, uh, a feeling of self-worth what how has how has that served you or how has your past served you in hollywood because hollywood 
uh, you know, the film branch is kind of a dog-eat-dog dog world. You know, a lot of people get into situations where people try to manipulate them, and some people get manip successfully manipulated. How has your fortitude shielded you during your time in f as a filmmaker? Well, I've been able to use my my differences as kind of a, a, a strength. Like, the idea of okay. knowing, like... You know, I made a movie about my mother going to prison. I, I mean, you know, I did that because really, really I, ballsy. Yeah, really, kind of like saying, "Hey, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm different than you are. I'm really different." Yeah. And one one of the um, it's funny the series that I'm doing this trucking series. Um, you know, I'm working with HBO right now, and oh, is that where the series is going to be? Not. Not quite there, but yeah, okay. we're, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when we go. Okay. Um, but one of their, you know, their comments, which is hysterical to me, is like how authentic the huh. characters are. Authentic, authentic, you know. People use that word. I mean, Hollywood's such a place where no one wants to really call it. Um, they'll call it different things. And that basically, my people are authentic. And my voice is authentic, which means I don't I don't put up with any bullshit. I don't I don't I don't have I don't whitewash characters like they're. Well, you've they're lived a life. You've up. you've lived a truly colorful, a truly challenging life, and I would imagine you're drawing directly from that. And maybe a lot of writers don't dare to do that, or maybe they just haven't had the background that you have. Well, could John, that be think it? about it. Exactly, exactly. Think about it. Most of them come out of like USC yes. or they came out of some film program, yes. some writing program somewhere, or they were, you know, they were Rhodes Scholar or they were this and that. They don't, there's a missing link between our people and the screen. And it has to do with the writer. Okay. They're, they're, the writers are not their voices, like if you want to see yourself, if you're like, why, why don't I exist on screen? Well, because the writers aren't there or they're not being recognized. They're not, they're not, their voices aren't being seen, right, aren't heard. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's a missing link in there. And so of course you're going to get the same old bullshit. You're going to get yeah. the same old characters that, you know, tropes. Right. It's uh, for women. It's uh, the big titted, sexy one. It's the it's the mom, the cookie cutter mom that's that's literally baking cookies for her kids, <laughs> and, and while they're when they come home from school, they're gonna have something nice. Right. You know, it's like I didn't grow up with that, and I remember thinking, where are my people? Yeah. Where are they? Because I need to know. Because the women that I come from, you talk about. I have fortitude. I got nothing on my aunt Jean and my mother and my yeah. grandma. Like I got nothing on them. They well, are badasses in every way, and they did it, and they did it as single. They weren't single moms; they were married, but they, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were single mothers raising children well, and making it happen. Well, the question that you posed, uh, kind of rhetorically, the question, "Where are my people?" You know, in 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 filmmaking, is it that question and your desire to answer that question? Uh, is that what led you to to writing and and directing and filmmaking? What was the yes. catalyst that brought you to it? Was it that? Yes. Okay. Okay. So media is really powerful. It is. It's really powerful. Yeah. You grow up and you, you watch movies. And if I'm watching a movie and all I'm seeing are people that don't, that aren't like me, it, it does something to my self-worth. 
Yeah. It makes me feel like something's maybe wrong with me. Yes. Not with that picture. Something's wrong with me. And when I, I started writing, because I, I was at the Actors Gang, and um, it's Tim Robbins Theater Company, and it's a repertoire, so we're working with the same people all the time, doing, you know, we're working as a group in, with, in plays, and we're doing Moliere, and we're doing Shakespeare, and we're doing modern plays. This is in Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Yeah. And I remember thinking, why? And then I would go, so I'd do these plays, right? I'm doing, I'm doing really amazing yeah. female characters and plays. Yeah. And then I would audition for something for a TV series or I'd go and audition for something for a film. And the characters were always shitty. Yeah. They, they were always like, again, like I'm tall, I've got boobs and I'm blonde. So I'm always, I was always going out for the prostitute, the sister, the, yeah. the, okay. the whatever, the, 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 you know, always having to get naked. Like, like the, those are the characters that I was going out for. And I remember thinking, where are the female roles in television and film? Where are they? I don't know. Where are the, my, my roles? Yeah. Because I have a truck driver in me. I have, I have a, a drug runner in me. Mm-hmm. I have a um, uh, badass factory worker yeah. in me. We are the sum where, of our experiences. Yes. Where are those people? Yeah. On screen. Yep. And so I started writing them. It was out of necessity, quite frankly. It was out of necessity. I was like, I'm going to write these fucking people so because that, I know them. That artist bug just hit you and you had to express that part of your identity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. And it made me unique. And I that, then, a little fast forward, I started to realize that my voice was unique because my people don't write they're not out there writing these characters. No. Like they're just, they might write novels and they might turn those into movies, but like where they, they don't get out. So there was a, the, there was a gap. And I realized that I am a voice for a group of people that are voiceless as of the time when I started. Now this was 20 years ago. Yeah. Now it's, it's changing over so slightly. It's changing, changing. But I'm still unique in the world. I'm still unique yes. in the fact that yes. I'm writing strong female characters. Like, yeah. why am I unique in that? I don't know. But I just know that people don't understand the class system. They write at the class system. So they're, uh-huh. you know, when you look at like something like Ozark. Ozark, it's a good show. But they're, they're commenting on the class. Oh, here's a fish out of water. These rich people, and now they're poor, and oh, they got to live amongst all these hillbillies. <laughs> uh, I get it. I see what you're saying. Yeah. They're not in the class system. Because yeah, Whereas, I, I've been watching that series. I can't wait for the next, uh, the next season to come. I kind of got hooked on it. But you're right. They're not really addressing that class issue. They're just speaking at it. They're not yes. building yes. on it. They're not telling any story about it. Exactly. You're right. And my, You're right. my series, the trucking series, isn't this, oh, how sad it is. These women are now running the company and, oh, gosh, life's so hard. And it's a, it's, it's a bunch of women in trucking and, oh, gosh, how are we going to do it? This is about some badass women that stand up and say, we are going to survive. I love it. And this is what survival looks like where I come from. Because my people, my, my I keep saying my people, and I don't mean Norton. I'm talking about my, the women in my family yeah. 
are these resilient, like just tough women yeah. that their lines are different, man. Mm. We have a joke in our family about if there's a guy, whatever husband is in rotation in the family, <laughs> and he's out of, he gets out of line, he gets out of line. It's like, it's time to get the chipper. <laughs> and by the chipper, I mean the wood chipper and meaning that motherfucker's going to go away. Oh, like he's going to disappear and all the women are all going to know what happened. And everyone's going to be like, what happened to Joey? Mm. Gosh, she just isn't around anymore. You're like, mm. just, oh, man, the chipper. Had to go away. Joey had oh, to go away. Oh, boy, the chipper. You know, but those are the lines. But, but you I know, can in my see, family, those lines. But I can see that that toughness has definitely, you've definitely inherited that. I see it. I hear it in the, in yeah. the way you speak about your life, about your background and about what you're doing now. Now, the, the series that you're working on, uh, how far along in the process are you? We're pretty far along in the process. Have you set a date we're, for? Oh, no, 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 it hasn't been filmed. So we're, right, right now, so basically we're shopping. So okay. we finished, um, I have an amazing partner and we um, brought Craig Mazin, like I was saying, and Jack Lesko, who did Chernobyl, um, into our fold and basically they're, they're EPing, uh, executive producing. So they will, they're shepherding it into HBO. HBO really likes it. They love the world. They love the characters. Da, 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 da. And now we're shopping for a showrunner. It's called a showrunner, which is someone who oversees the entirety of the show okay. in a different way, more like a writing, like a writing showrunner. When you look at shows like Sopranos, uh -huh. David Chase, Right, Dave Jace, who wrote, it's the showrunner. It's like the one okay. who, it's, yeah. it's in the name, showrunner, yeah. right? Who runs the show. Um, so basically, that's where we're at right now. And I'm pushing really hard for a female showrunner. And it's funny, <laughs> there's already, I, I send in five names of females that are showrunners that I really like. And, oh, she's she's difficult. Uh, yeah, she's, she's a nightmare to work with. Uh, yeah, she's, Right? Yeah. And then they send back five, five, can I get some more coffee? And <laughs> <laughs> my husband just. <laughs> hey, I, I put my wife on coffee runs all the time during my podcast <laughs> episodes. So. <laughs> um, um, and they send back basically uh, a bunch of guys, yeah. men. And I'm yeah. like, this is a female written, female created, female trucking series yeah yeah we would really like to try right yeah to have a female and the whole difficult female sort of moniker is really interesting even today like they, they discount you before you don't even know what's happening it's in these closed door fucking situations where you're yeah. looking at and all of a sudden all the women that you really like they're really difficult and then there's that one mediocre white male that <laughs> yeah. did that one yeah. show and yep. he's great. Yep. We yep. love yeah. him. That's just a shame that happens. you have to, but, but again, there's, there's the whole reason for the Shamara project that you're running. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Let me ask you this about writing is, is writing. Oh, we may, we may get interrupted. Oh, that's okay. Right now. That's She's okay. About to come in. What's your name for me? Come here, baby. Come here. Come and say hi. <gasps> Wow, that's awesome. Come oh, here, Will. Say hi. Say hi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 too shy. Too shy. Yeah. Yeah, she's not shy. She's just like, nah. Well, let me ask you a boy. question about writing. Is writing ever difficult for you? Or 
are you the type of writer who, because I, it used to be when I first started songwriting, every once in a while I would have to struggle with it. But I guess I kind of conditioned myself to, if I have to struggle, then maybe it's not worth it. So now when I write, it just flows. How are you as a writer? Do you ever feel challenged? Do you ever feel a struggle in that process or does it always flow? Oh, I think if you're writing, I think there's flow and there's, there's ebb and flow. Okay. It's the nature of, it's the nature of writing. But I think when you have a hard time doing it, it's, you, it's, you, there, it's, there's a reason. Okay. If you're yeah. having a hard time writing and it's not just like sitting down or having, finding the time or you're having a hard time actually with the subject matter or the voice that you're, you're speaking with. Uh-huh. If it's hard, there's, it's usually because it's either not the right time, you're not ready to write it, um, you want to, yeah, you, you want to, you know, you should, you know, quote should, yeah, but something there's there's something not flowing, and that yeah. flow happens when you're when you're in the flow. See, and that's kind of how I approach my my writing. If I if I can't write, if it's a struggle, then I just walk away from it. So that when I do write, then it is a flow, and that just makes it more. Not only just more productive, it just makes it more enjoyable. I, well, I don't have the luxury of being able to walk away for too long because I'm on deadlines. And, That's true. You know, That's there's true. a lot of stuff going on. That's so true. It's, it's kind yeah. of like I, working through it is part of the process. Okay. Yeah. I think working through that stoppage is part of that process. So, so or you, going off and I'll go off and garden for a little bit just so I can like think, like use a different part of my brain right. while yeah. I'm still figuring out the problem right, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I've always been a doodler okay like when people talk to me you know it's, it, it's easier for me to hear them if I doodle uh-huh. right so if you go do something physicalized right if you physicalize then in it between you sitting down and mentalizing then you know yeah it, it can open really the floodgates yeah it does so when uh, do, do you are you the are you the type of writer that you have to set aside as or you have to you have to formulate a, a structure and a schedule? You know, I, I have to do X number of words per day or per week. Or, you know, is there any kind of a process to your to your productivity, or is your productivity just what it is? Um, I, you know, I, I take from the Stephen King playbook. <laughs> my favorite Which author, by the way. My favorite I, author. Mine too. Okay. Stephen King saved me. Saved oh. my life. Yes. With his books. Really? Like I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I read my way through school. I just read so while I was I. also doing other things. And so that was the I. only thing that just... Uh, constantly I mean, had a book going for me. Absolutely. Constantly. Yep. Constantly. It saved me. It saved me. It was a life that I, that I understood. And he was so... He's so internal. Yes. Um, and writing from first person through the characters. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant. I love that. I love him. And if I ever meet him, I'm going to give him a big hug and tell him that he saved my life. And if you meet him, <laughs> say hi for me. I will. I will. I'll say you saved two people. Two people. Um, um, but his playbook is basically he sits down from this time to this time, you know, whatever your in and out time, whenever your most, most productive times are. I'm not productive at night. Like my, my creative brain just shuts off okay. after, yeah. after, like five. Okay. Like I don't do well after five. I just start, I just, I'm not focused. Um, but I sit down and what comes out, comes out. It's probably total yeah. shit. At time, <laughs> you know, the, the first pass of anything is crap. You just have to know it. As yeah. long as you know that you don't expect perfection. Right. Right. 
then you just you just get it out. You just put a piece of crap on a paper, and then all of a sudden, the next day, you come back to it and you go, "That's crap." And then you start building off of that. Book. Right. You start. Right. You you pivot. You 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 figure out what worked, what didn't work, and if you can do that five days out of the week, you will get somewhere. Absolutely. See, it, it, writing is such an interesting thing. You know, uh, I, I look at songwriting and uh, book writing and script writing as three very close cousins. At the same time as they're similar, they're quite different. I've been trying for years, years to write a book. And I just can't get I, I, it, that, that flow process. I don't know if it's discipline. I don't know if it's scheduling. I don't know what it is. I just can't make it happen. But songwriting, lyrics, and music comes effortless, effortlessly. You know, I've had periods where I haven't been productive, but I've just, okay, I don't feel like writing. I don't have any inspiration. I just let the music and the songwriting go. But when I'm ready to, to write a song, it just flows. But I've been ready, and I put that in air quotes, ready to write a book for for years now and i just can't get it done so people like you who can sit down and write a good film script or a series script that 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 fascinates me that you guys are able to do that because something about that process is so unobtainable so far to me and i i just don't understand it now novels so i'm working with daniel wallace who wrote big fish and i'm i'm uh working on his second feature script with him right now called my father's way and Daniel is a novelist. Yeah. He's not a scriptwriter. Scripting is a different, a it's whole a different thing altogether. Yeah. Yeah, altogether. Like I said, close cousins, but like, like your your weird your weird cousin. Your weird cousin. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one from North Carolina. You, that cousin from North. That cousin from North Carolina. Exactly. And uh, working on this process with him, I've learned a lot about how novelists write and. He's, he writes every day, does his thing, and you know he's he's always he's always writing. But he said he never thinks about what he's about to write. So that is very different than scripting. Meaning scripting that is, meaning that he just has the story in mind, and then he just sits yeah. down and gets it out, and that's that. And just just starts, just starts. Interesting. And, and it's not for 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 scripting. For example, if I say this is a story about you know. Uh, female run trucking company okay there you go but all the characters every character you write has to be like i have to know them like i know my hand yeah to understand what they say yeah because because we're all so unique john like what you say and how you phrase it and how you come at a problem it's a whole personality yeah it's an entire human being it's a whole personality that, yeah that has to come through for that one and then in a series Imagine you might 20. have yeah exactly Exactly. Right? Like yeah. the, you're, you're, so you, you have to sit in those shoes and it helps that I, I came out of acting. It helps that I've already sort of greased the wheel in the acting side. I know how to approach character because when I talk to Daniel, he doesn't think like that at all. He doesn't have any of that in him. Like he, Interesting. he's like, no, I got a guy in this. And basically through his process, he creates. Yeah. We have to create, before we ever put pen to paper, we have to create everything, the entirety yes. of the world. Yeah. The whole world. Not only just the story and no, no, no. And then we have to, we basically have to structure it because 
film and TV is so artificial. Yes. Two hour, the two hour window is artificial. It is. It's yeah. just, it's something yeah. that's been created by television. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a, you know, it's an hour and a half. Like anything, anything longer than like an hour and a half in a movie, you start wondering what the, what the hell's happening. Right? Exactly. And so that structure, that hour and a half structure is basically a 90 page script. Right. And so the act structure is like, first act is around 30, 60, and then you got 90. Like you're, you're, you, you start, your brain has to basically retrofit this story into this time frame. Yes. See, and, and that, that is, is where, that's where the planning. And that is a totally different yes. process than writing a novel. What an opportunity for the two of you to learn off of each other. That's uh, that must yeah, be, that must be great. He's funny. He's funny. He's really smart. He's, <sighs> he's, lovely i mean when i say he's lovely he's lovely if you could actually say that about somebody he's it that's nice nice guy yeah what what kind of um i'm sure you meet all kinds of people in in the work that you do um would you say that most people that you've met through film are good people because there's this narrative out there, and I know this narrative is false, but it is out there. There's this narrative out there that everybody in Hollywood, everybody in the film branch is so fake. Uh, they're only in it for themselves. You can't trust them. There's no one out there who's genuine. That's the narrative. Now, I know that's not true, um, but would you say that most of the people that you've come across out there are good people? Yes, I would. Um, I think most of the people that I have chosen to surround myself with are like me in some way. They all have a through line. They're honest, forthright, uh, go-getters, ambitious as hell. And those are and most of the people, those are the people that you have chosen to be around. And I think I that that is, and I think with. that is so important to say so that people understand that. Uh, see, I, I believe, I believe, of course there's ugliness in the world, but I believe that there's more good, there's more beauty in the world than ugliness. And this sounds so cliche and hippie-ish and all that stuff, and maybe it is all of those things. But I believe that there's more good in the world than bad. But maybe that's because I choose my friends and cohorts wisely. I want people, and I'm not saying that my circle of friends is a monolith. I'm not saying that they have to mirror my thought no, process, no, but, 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 you know, you can choose to distance yourself from ugliness and you can choose to embrace beauty and goodness and compassion. And that's regardless of where you are in life. It doesn't matter if you're in New Orleans, Los Angeles, Norton or Norway. Mm-hmm. Isn't that that's true right. for everybody? Absolutely. There's a, so it's, I've, if you ask me who my friends are, all my friends are incredibly different, like so different. Yeah. They're, I have, I have, one of my girlfriends, she, she's three generations of um, food and beverage kind of people in Los Angeles, right? She's her dad's grandfather. Like she's, so she's done it. She, she's a total badass. She's, she starts, she creates um, restaurants and now in bars and, and hotels and then sells them and then goes on the next thing. Right. She is a cookie bird, like cookie bird. Like (laughs) when you meet her, she is cookie, cookie, cookie. Like I, like she is, she keeps you entertained. Like, 
She is keeps you entertained. She is kooky kooky. However, she is kind and honest. And she's ambitious. And there's like there's sort of a combination of that in all of my I friends. thought you were gonna recite that line from uh, the little white girl in the help. When you said she's kind, you as kind, you as important. <laughs> okay. Little sidetrack. Okay, that's where my mind oh, yeah, goes. Okay, I'm no, sorry. No, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I didn't even think about that. Sorry but, to interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's the thing is like there's this commonality yeah. Yeah. amongst the people that, you, that yes. I surround myself with. And they don't have to be successful, but success does pair well with ambition. So I'm always around ambitious people. I like people that have, that are have a drive. Oh God, yes, that is so. That, that is food for my soul. I yeah. I get a rise out of people who are on a mission. Yep. People, you know, people like yourself, and that's why I thank the good Lord that I'm doing this podcast because I get to talk to people like you. You mo- you motivate the living daylights out of me, and 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 and, and the icing on write the cake. Write your novel. Write your novel, John. Well, well, and the, well, the icing on the cake is that we come from the same place and we have so much in common, and you know, and and I express myself through my podcast, through my writing. Uh, uh, m- you know, music and all that stuff. But that whole thing about writing this book that I've been trying to get out, you've said <laughs> a couple of things that are going to um, definitely push me to approach it in a different way so that maybe there's going to be some productivity now. So I thank you for that. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you for the podcast and I appreciate being able to talk about these things. I, I do want to say something that I think a lot of young writers, I say young writers, not meaning young people, but young writers, people that are starting out, that, that they, they like to negate the process. There is a mean? process to writing. So I'll put it in a different term and then I'll come back to it. Cause I, I so I, I came up through theater, like that, that I came up, you know, working in theater and, and, and through my artistry in theater. And there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of producers that want to say, okay, well, here's a play. Here's the play. We're doing, let's say it's something, just an, an original play. Here's the play. We're going to put it up in three weeks. We have three weeks of rehearsals. What I have learned through my 10 plus years of working in, on in stage is that you can say you're only going to give it three weeks of rehearsal and then you're going to put it up. But whatever the first three weeks are after you're on stage, it's still rehearsal. Okay. It takes six weeks, I, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. I don't care if it's Shakespeare, Moliere, original plays, like an Allen Ball, like yeah. written. It takes six weeks, John, of rehearsal because the rehearsal process there is a there's a there's a there's a dissection that has to happen in order to allow that play to live. It has, it just, it's, it's just the way it is. So what I've learned about writing, people say, you know, the Quentin Tarantino's, "Ah, I wrote, you know, Reservoir Dogs over a weekend. Yeah. You might've gotten it out. You might've shit it out, but I can guarantee you that the thing that we watch took about eight weeks. Okay. You know what I mean? Like the process of it, like you can't, like we'd like to think that you're going to, like there's this, you, you do it and then somehow it's going to be perfect. It isn't. The process of rewriting is right. 
it is just that's the writing that's yeah. what we do yeah. so the process is part of the writing that we, we forget about and we don't like right i get and yeah. yet it's the most satisfactory part of it i mean it's like I get it the, yeah the, that's the process yeah. and that process is writing not just writing until you have your book you're at the end you're like oh here's my book the process of writing that book is rewriting that book i see and so you have to go through it. That's and that's just, just part of the, yeah, that's just a just, step that has to be taken. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. It has to be taken. I got gotcha. If you don't, you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. You might yeah. as well just shit out the first version of it. That's my <laughs> point. It's like, just get it out so that you can start the actual process of writing it. Gotcha. Well, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to give it another shot. I kind of laid it to the side uh, for a while. And then I picked it up again here recently, and uh, over the last couple, three weeks while my family has been uh, uh, at our place up north, I picked it up again and have actually been doing great with it these last three weeks. But then uh, the last couple of days it has just been, it's been like pulling teeth. Uh, and I can't figure yeah. out, I just can't figure out how do I settle into a process. But you've said a couple of things that are going to make me approach it. You know, in other words, the process is what it is. And maybe these days uh, where I'm just a blank slate and can't write anything is part of the process. And I just need to it accept it. It is part it. of the process. I just you need just to accept, accept it. it. Yeah. You, know, you know, I have really clean floors. That's what I, I like to say. Whenever, <laughs> whenever I'm like in my like lull and I'm like, I just got, I don't know what, I'm in a problem. I have a problem and I can't yeah. figure it out and nothing's coming and it's like pulling teeth. I vacuum and I sweep. Yeah. So I have really clean floors. I like, parts of my I like stepping away. Um, uh, I guess I haven't really done it so much with this book, but with songwriting, I like to, to write a song, whether it's a, a music piece or the lyrics and then step away, go out in my garage and work out and then come back to it. And it's kind of like a double check. Is this as good as I, fe as I felt it was before yeah. and come back to it. And sometimes it is. And sometimes like, ah, I need to change a little bit. So it's that oh. stepping away process and then First coming of all, back that's to super it. For, like you're writing songwriting is so foreign to me. I have no idea what that ent entails, but um, what you're describing right now, my husband has a term for it. And I'm going to share it with you. Yeah. He calls them French fry eyes. You gotta have French fries on something. French so what fries. Do you, what, French fries is when you've been working on something and you're like, you, you're like, I think this is great. This is awesome. Okay, this is great. You leave. Yeah. You go get some French fries. You go to McDonald's, grab you some French fries, come back and then look at it. Okay. And those are yeah. called French fries. It's like it did the okay. time it takes for you to just go and do something else and then come back around and take a well, look at it see, again. Well, see, I was looking at a little more healthy. I'd go out and work out in the garage. <laughs> yeah, He's I talking know. about French fries. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. French fries. Yeah. I like that. I like French that. It's fries. Fr yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, Please, usually what you do your first outing on anything, and for me, and maybe, maybe you're brilliant, you know, at songwriting and, and like you just – can do it all in one go, but I have a hard time with that. It, it just takes process. Well, see, see, and I, and I guess this is maybe why I get so frustrated as I'm trying to write this book, because for me, the songwriting process is, 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 is incredibly easy. I am a first draft songwriter. Uh, I'm talking about the lyrics. I'm talking about the lyrics, the lyrics. Uh, there is no rewrite in, in general. It is so rare Wow. that I have to do a rewrite where things can get changed is on the musical side of it. A chord change or a certain note, you know, things like that. Or maybe I want to re-sing 
my vocals or something like that. But the mm-hmm. actual song, the actual lyric writing process for me, uh, 9.999 times out of 10 is a one, one draft, first draft. That's what I think that's why your and blockage is coming. So from I've gotten spoiled. Stuff. Exactly. So I've gotten You're spoiled. I've gotten spoiled. <laughs> but because because I, I guess I went into the book writing thing thinking it's just words on paper. I can do it real easy with the song. I'm going to do it real easy with this. And it's just just it does not work that way. And I get frustrated and I have to I have to put it aside sometimes for months at a time. And then I'll go back to it. and It's like, well, all this sucks. And then I have to start all over. So it's just, it's been that kind of process with this book. I would, I would challenge you to just, just power through it. Power yeah, through yeah, it, power yeah. through it. Don't ever reread. And that's what I've been doing the last three weeks since the family's been gone. I have not read a single thing that I've, no. that I've written. Nothing. No. I'm just going to keep no. going. And when the story is done, then I'll go back. And then there'll be some editing. Then there might be some chapter changes. Then there might, yeah, yeah. Then there might be a little bit more f- filling out back. of a character's persona or something. Yeah, yeah. Because people tinker. You know, they go back and they'll, they'll work on, they'll work novels for years. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. just go back and they just keep reworking and reworking. And again, and reworking, that should be part of the reworking. process. Yeah. And I should accept that that's part of the process. But listen, uh, two two things. First of all, um, you spoke of yourself in the third person, and you said Shauna, and I've been saying Shanna the whole time. Oh, but it's yeah, Shauna, and and names yeah. are important. <laughs> so from here on out, I'm going to call you Shauna. I just I know, to- but my mom named me after a DJ in Cleveland on on WMMS. WMMS, like, home of the buzzard, yeah. home of the yeah, buzzard. buzzard. And she, there was a, apparently some smoky voiced um, <laughs> DJ that she yeah. loved, and that was that's why I'm named okay. Shauna, cool. even though it's spelled like Shana. Like cool. she didn't know how to spell it. She liked how it sounded. She didn't yeah. know how to spell it. So it's okay. I get well, it. Shauna is okay. actually, and that was my, my first inclination was to pronounce it Shauna because that is how it would be pronounced in Norwegian. There is no A, Shanna. Mm-hmm. It would be Shauna in Norwegian. So that was my oh. first inclination. I should have just went with it. But <laughs> names are important. People try to call me Jon, and that's just, Jon? no, uh, I'm sorry. That's uh, I know a guy, but that's not me. I'm John, okay? <laughs> But, but here's, here's what I want to do, Shauna, um, b- before we wind this up. And I do have to wind it up. I can smell the tacos cooking right now. Uh, uh, I want to ask you to do two things for me before we wind this up. Uh, but, but, but before I get to that, I just want to, I want to say, I want to make sure I say this. You are a true inspiration, Shauna, not just to me, but through anybody in, 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 in any kind of a creative work, uh, specifically in film, uh, male or female, but especially for women with the work that you're doing. Uh, God bless you. I am, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm speaking with you right now. And, and this is the first, this is not the last time we're not finished. Uh, no, I feel like we're in a conversation and we got, we got another, and, I mean, we can just switch subject matters. Let's yeah, just, ab- like, absolutely. Just and, and, I, yeah. and there's, there's a lot more that I want to, want to talk w- with you about, but, uh, but I, but I do have to round it off. But, but again, uh, uh, you're quite the inspiring person. Um, I know there's more to your story that I haven't gotten into yet. So, uh, I, I hope you'll come back again when that time comes. But it's a pleasure. to wind it up, two things I want to ask you to do for me. I'm going to start a sentence. I'm going to say three words of a sentence, and then I'd like you to fill in the rest of the sentence, okay? Mm-hmm. Shauna Betts is... A badass. A badass. I couldn't agree more. 
<laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, look at you. <laughs> look at you and look at your story. That's the first thing that popped into my mind, but I could I could go on. I could I could but, I could I could play this game all day. <laughs> but isn't that but 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 isn't that the truth though? I mean, look at your background. Uh, I mean, I feel like we barely touched on your background and what brought you to this stage in your life where you are now. So again, we're going to have to come back and we're going to have to do another episode. Okay, so Shanna Betts I, there, is there's a, a whole badass. world that between between Ohio and me moving to New York. Exactly. That's okay, really yeah. fascinating. That's very interesting kind of area that I, I found I found my and, my legs. And I and I do and I do want to bring that back. Maybe we'll have a part two. No, no, maybe we will. If you're willing to do it, I would love to have a part two of this episode. Um, okay, so that's the first thing. Shanna Shanna Betts Shanna Betts is a badass. The second thing I'd like you to do for for me personally um, but also by proxy for any of my viewers and my listeners, is there something you can say that I and my viewers and, and listeners can take with us? Maybe some words of wisdom or some words of, of inspiration that we can carry with us for the next few days or, or longer that can make us better equipped to walk this path that we're walking Anything you can say. Don't give up. Do you think it would have been easy? It would have been easy to give up way back when, right? But we don't. Yeah, it's, but we it's, didn't. It is easy. But we, exactly. But we didn't. And look where we are now. Look at life. We couldn't. That, I think there's a choice that is made, but I don't know that the choice was mine. I just know uh, that it's not in I my see. DNA to give up. Like giving up is not a choice. Like giving up, there's no, there's no safety net. So giving up that is, means that I give up everything. Yeah. I give up. It, it's not more weight in giving up. I giving see. up had always had like enormous yes. weight. Yes. It means I'm giving up everything about myself, everything I believe myself to be, all the things that I've, I've, I've ever believed in is given up. Like if I stayed in Ohio, for example, I would be a different person. Oh, for sure. In a, in oh, God. <laughs> I can't imagine what kind of person I would be, but I would be so far from who I am now if I would have stayed in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the journey we're on, you know? Wow. That that's, that's deep. That's so simple. That's only three words. Don't give up. But that is so simple. Everyone, I don't care who you are. If, if, if you're an honest person, you will admit that you either are right now or have been through your, your life at a crossroads or you can just kind of throw in the towel and accept the status quo and basically just give up and just stop being ambitious. Um, but don't do that. Don't give up. Shauna Betts says, don't do that. <laughs> don't give up. But isn't that, that's such a simple, that's such a simple mantra that people can carry with. I'm going to carry that with me. Don't give up. It's a simple mantra. I have this mantra. really, really, it's kind of one of those 99 cent store plaques yeah. that I, that I got when I was in, I mean, I mean, or a dollar store or whatever it is. I don't know if you have them there, but in the States there's those, they're, they're rampant. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a little plaque. And it, I have it right here. It says, don't quit. I love it. And my mom gave it to me. And I read it every once in a while. Because it, it's, it's something that 
I think about it a lot. It'd be so much easier to quit. It would be easy. so much easier. Quitting is easy. There's a little uncertainty about what different turns your life will take at that point when you give up, but, but it is easy. Oh gosh, it's easy to give up. It's tempting it's so sometimes easy. and it's tempting sometimes. Let's be, let's, and sometimes let's, you do give up for a little bit. Sometimes you well, give up for yeah, a little bit. But that's just taking like a break. That's just taking a breather. That's it's okay to yeah. stop, draw in that long breath, let it out slow. And that might be a physical, a, a literal physical process, or it might be a metaphorical process that takes a few days, weeks, or even months. But as long as you are aware that this is just a little break, it's a little pause, that's not giving up. That's just gathering yourself so that you can, you know, I put things in terms of training for, you know, I'm a, I'm a world-class power lifter with a few records. And oh, I put, nice. Yeah, thank you. I was on the U.S. national I team. Yeah, I was no, on the U.S. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, look at this. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm speaking with a celebrity. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and so I put things into a training uh, aspect that I then can put into my life. And that whole thing, when I'm training powerlifting, I can't train for 24 hours a day. I can't even train every day. I have to take a break. I have to gather myself. I've got to breathe a little so that I can heal, so that I can go back to training. And I think that is very easy to apply to my life in general. I have to, you know, I'm a go-getter. Believe me, I've got plans and I, I'm getting stuff done and I want to get more done. But I have planned breaks. I've got to take a break. I've got to breathe. i got to keep myself in the kind of shape that I need to be in to do the things that I want to do and be a better person in a better position to help those people in my family and friend circle that I love. So you got to take a break, got to breathe, but don't give up. And, and in a different, exactly in a different context, I have a friend of mine, not, he's not, but, uh, someone that I'm working with. Um, he is a very, very successful doctor uh, who owns a bunch of clinics across the United States. And his cycle, you know, you have to know your cycle, yes. right? You know your own cycle of where you start, where it's diminishing return. Yeah. Right? And his cycle is seven weeks. Uh-huh. He goes hard for seven weeks. And at that seven weeks, he has to take seven days off. Okay. Seven at the end of that, seven. he takes a week off. Seven and seven. Like that's his, he knows because at that point he just starts unraveling. But what this guy has accomplished in his life is yeah. fascinating. I'm writing a story about him, actually, another pilot um, TV series. Productive it's, little it's, thing, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Too much on my plate. Too much on my plate. But the point is, is that know your cycle. Yes. That's a good, that, that is some really good advice. Um, a lot of people are not even aware that they have a cycle. A lot mm. of people get that feeling of guilt when they have to slow down. I know. And sucks. then they, and then, and then what do they do? They don't slow down. They keep fighting, which then multiplies the burnout. So know your cycle. I love it. I love it. Yep. I love it. Listen, listen, Shauna, I, I'm not the person who, who uh, gets overwhelmed with guilt, but I feel horrible that I can't keep talking to you. But I have to. <laughs> Go eat the tacos, man. I got to gotta, gotta eat. Like, it's like noon here. I'm like, ooh, what's Walter making from the inside? I'm like, I know he's cooking up something. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, but, 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 but Shauna, I, um, I, I don't want to say it and, and make it sound superficial, but I'll say it again. I'm so glad that I, that my sister uh, helped me to get in touch with you. I'm so, so glad for speaking with you. I'm not finished learning from you. 
So <laughs> if, we have a lot to learn from each other. If you would we like to if stuff. you would like to have a stubby brown protege here in Norway, I am willing to learn. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> you're you're tall you're tall and blonde, I'm stubby and brown. So <laughs> <laughs> almost polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, some, a producer friend of mine, um, he was working, we were working on, uh, was attached to direct something, and, and he had another producer come in, and he's an old school, like, Hollywood guy, he's like, so Shauna, I mean, how, am I, how do I sell you? <laughs> I, go, I go, I don't know, I got big tits and I'm blonde, man. However you want to sell me, you sell me. I don't care how <laughs> you sell it. me. Like, um, I, like whatever you want to do, man, whatever you want to do. Anyway. But l- um, listen, though, you, you so are much. you're a wonderful yeah. person. Your your beauty shines both outwardly and inwardly. Um, um, keep on doing your work. Keep on doing your work. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so me. much, Shauna Betts. Everybody, Shauna Betts. <laughs>